Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to Shawshank Penitentiary, hosted by the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from Consequence of Sound. My name is Red Colburn, and uh, I am a co-host of this lovely podcast. And today we're here to talk about the Shawshank Redemption. Wait, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. Wait, that's how it goes? Yeah. Yeah, there's no the. There's no the. Why is there no the? That confused the hell out of me. That's very bizarre. Yes. That seems like a typo, and they just had to commit to it. Um, So I'm actually excited to talk about this, because I think it'll be one of the very rare instances on this podcast we'll probably end up talking about the movie more than the story, because the movie has really kind of eclipsed the book in many ways, and the book almost feels like... Uh, like a working blueprint for the movie in some ways, and we'll get there. But uh, yeah, so let's all go. Uh, at, well, just a brief bit of context. Uh, this is the first story in Stephen King's first kind of batch of novellas that were non-horror. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of I think it's kind of a weird thing to call it non-horror because at pupil to me is horrific as fuck. <laughs> like, I can't wait to get there. Oh Non-supernatural. God. Yeah, it's non-supernatural. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, I think the, but the uh, Shawshank is the first in that uh, collection, and we're going to be going through each one individually. So two weeks, we're going to be doing at pupil. Two weeks after that, the body. And two weeks after that, the breathing method. We're going to go four hours on the breathing method. Four hours, <laughs> at least. We're going to have doctors in the episode talking there, about Yeah, it. we're going to invite some some experts on. So, uh, yeah, so let's all go around and talk about the how we first encountered both. I think that probably the way we encountered different seasons might even be different than, like, the way we encountered Shawshank specifically. But... Um, uh, why don't you kick it off, the person sitting directly across from me. Say who you are and talk about Shawshank. Uh, Mackenzie Mansfield Gerber. Oh! Um, and I, my first relationship with uh, Shawshank Redemption was the was the film. I saw the film when it came out and I absolutely loved it. In the theaters? Uh, I No, I don't think I saw it in the theaters. Nobody saw it in the theaters. Um, but I definitely rented that thing and I loved it. I didn't read the book until a couple months ago. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was excited to read it, and I couldn't believe just pretty... I mean, it's pretty spot on. I think there are changes in the film, but they're all for the better. Hey, we'll Um, get there. No spoilers. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. So um, (laughs) actually, I don't really... Whoa, now! I don't really know if it's better. I'm not going to make that claim yet. Uh, (laughs) Save it for the pod. (laughs) Yeah, no. So that was my first introduction to it, and um, I, I, I read the... The Pocket Books edition, which I actually love this cover for different seasons. Yeah, I like, I've never the, seen uh, that one. It's just the railroad tracks and, and, and a bit of the forest. A bit of the forest. I love a bit of the forest. Who's, who's sitting next to Mac? Oh, the person who loves a bit of the forest. Uh, this is Justin was here, so was Gerber. <laughs> and my first experience with Shawshank, like many people in the United States, if not the world, was through the film. Um, I read the novella for the first time maybe 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Was kind of stunned how much of that novella ends up in the movie. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you hear, you just, 
you don't hear a lot about Sh- Stephen King connected to the movie. You just don't no. for some reason. It's very strange. They specifically marketed it without his name in the yeah, credits. Very, very odd. I guess that was the era of like the Night Flyer and the Tommy Knockers <laughs> series. So they're probably trying to distance <laughs> themselves. Flyer. But no, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk more about the movie a little bit later. But like you said, Randall, it's going to be inevitable. We will be sprinkling in yeah. our takes on the movie as we go along. Yeah. And who's sitting next to me? Uh, this is Mel. Her judgment cometh in that right soon castle. <laughs> <laughs> That right early if you're a book person. Here's, yes. your, ro- here's um, your rock pick. Yeah. <laughs> and I also was exposed to the movie first. My father um, did what everybody who's seen Shawshank does. And when he heard he, I hadn't see it, seen it, he said, stop what you're doing and sit down, which is then what I did several times to every friend who hadn't seen it. Like, Aww. I feel like this movie becomes this sort of weird virus once you once you see it as a teen. You think it's like mind blowing. Steven, if you're listening, your next book... Shawshank becomes a virus and the Shawshank uh, virus? everybody goes nuts. <laughs> it would be Shawshank, <laughs> just Shawshank virus. No, the, I just feel like it's, it's the it's a movie that is so fun to watch other people watch. Right, you just yeah. want to watch them watch it and get to the end. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I've seen it a billion times. I don't even know how many times I've seen it, and I read the novella for the first time in the past two days. Nice. nice. I didn't have to rewatch this for this particular episode, but I, I thought, why the hell not rewatch yeah. this movie? I could watch it every month. So, Mel, have you not read any of the other stories in, in different seasons? Ooh, I feel like I read The Body a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I don't remember a lot of specifics, and I have not read the other two. This is creepy, but I wish I could watch you read at Pupil. Oh. Okay, I'll, just, I'll film myself it. and put it on <laughs> YouTube. Don't worry about creepy. it. In the same way that you now watch it. Mel Castle reaction video. (laughs) Honestly, it's like going from from Shawshank to Apt People is very crazy. Yeah. It's so dark. Yeah, because, I mean, he has these, like, subheaders to each of the stories, right, in the book. And the first one is Hope Springs Eternal. Which makes sense. has spring in it. Mm -hmm. And the next one is, what is it? Summer's summer's awful. <laughs> summertime uh, moves. Summer <laughs> summer of summer of corruption. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I kind of yeah. wish Hope Springs Eternal came after after people because holy shit. Yeah. Well, it is just a, a straight wheel. I guess we can talk about this after we read the fourth story, the mm-hmm. order in which these yeah, stories yeah. go. I mean, yeah, it makes absolutely. sense, especially because of the title of and then trying to sync up the seasons to the stories. It makes it does make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ultimately. I, I same as all you guys. I saw the movie. I can't remember how I saw the movie. I feel like it might have been like a sleepover movie or something. Like we all just watched it, and it's one of those movies that I think like you really. It's I think it's perfect for teenagers like to get into, and uh, I think it's one of those mind blowing movies when you're a teenager, and then it becomes kind of a comfort movie when you get older. And I think that's why it like found so much success on like TNT and everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, we know drama. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I, I, but yeah, I, I remember reading the. Um, the novella when I was on vacation, like in New Jersey or something, when I was a kid, I remember being in the car, like driving and, and reading it. And I, I blew through it cause it's, it's such a quick read. And, um, yeah, but and I remember just being kind of shocked and underwhelmed by the story because mm. I knew the book so well. I mean, the movie so well, and all the, a lot of the really exciting things in the movie are not in the book, which we'll talk about, but, but, you know, but rereading, I just reread it. Uh, I, I, I don't have like a copy of different seasons and I know how popular Shawshank is. So I just Googled Shawshank text and there was like a hundred of people, like people just literally like write it out. Like there, you know, just, it's on like some like web page, you know, it's like Shawshank. They just fully transcribe. You probably read some like totally wrong. Version. I know. Right. <laughs> like they just changed a ton of stuff. Well, there was a, that's actually uh, fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Red and Andy were best they, friends. <laughs> yeah. No, the 
version narrated <laughs> in the version I read, like Red and Andy are fucking. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm like, God. wait, in the one you guys read, they they don't they get don't to get, they hook up with you. They're like, wait, wait, Red wasn't one of the sisters. <laughs> oh God, but uh, right, that's getting dark. But no, I read it like it was funny though because there were like typos and stuff. The the thing is, I had to like I would have gotten a proper copy of it, but I just I had to like kind of um, burn through it last night because uh, I've been I've just had a busy week, been putting it off, and uh, but it was hilarious because there was like typos in it and stuff. But because clearly it was some guy just like writing it on his computer, like probably before there was like you know software or whatever. It just like had the book open next to him. Like, I'm going to do this service yeah. for the world. Was it written as like white font and a black background, or was it, uh, actually... it was it was it was a white background with a black font? Okay, at least it was. In, yeah, like it that. wasn't 2002. like a, it wasn't like an Angel Fire website. <laughs> so I was thinking like blogspot.com. Uh, I would have read it that way. Oh, my version though was a, a paperback released around the time of the film release. Yeah, so it had... so it just says at the very top the Shawshank Redemption, and there's the poster of Andy in the rain. Yeah, and then below it says. From the group of novels, different seasons. Wait, does yours have the 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 the? the? It doesn't, no, no. Well, well, the movie says The Shawshank Redemption because it's based on that. But it does say Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption in the... I'm not going to be able to get past that. The lack of the... It is is just... There's no the, right? No, it's Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. So it's like Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it makes way more sense. Shawshank Redemption, like without the the, like just grammatically to me, that makes more sense. I think my problem is I'm just so used to the the, the Shawshank Redemption. It probably... Yeah, it's like... It's just more so, I think, because of the movie and everything. But uh, I feel like it's... On, on pop up here, unpopular opinion. I feel like it's a bad title. Shawshank Redemption. It, well, let's, can, we, can we talk a little bit about that too? Because yeah. the reason I put off the movie for, I guess I had not watched anything that year for the movie because I just thought it was going to be some lame melodrama. Yeah. yeah. You have Frank no Darabont idea was. what it's going to be about. I thought it was going to be, it was just going to kind of bomb in theaters and then be released and you go to Blockbuster and there'd be like one case of it with two copies behind it. I thought it was going to be like Ghosts of Mississippi with Alec Baldwin. Ghosts of Mississippi. Like these movies that just kind of came and went and nobody Wasn't cared Ghosts about of Mississippi them. like extremely successful? No way. Isn't There's that about, no way that was successful. Isn't that about... Oh, wait, I'm thinking of Mississippi Burning. Yeah, that was, yeah, that yeah. was a what great What was movie. Ghosts of Mississippi? That was another similar... I think, Is that like Ghosts of Mars? Alec Baldwin's in it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yes. the prequel to Ghosts of Mars. <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. comes back from the dead. <laughs> All right. No, it's... Um, it bombed. <laughs> it bombed. Okay. Can we think of... We, let's all think of an alternate title by the end, and we can share. Oh, Shawshank. Shawshank. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's. I think that's smart. No, I was actually when I was doing my research on the film and everything. Um, they hated the title. Like that was something, oh. and like they even some of the people were even crediting the poor box office to the title. I mean, there was many factors that went into it, it, but yeah, they were saying the title just sucks, and that people always would get it wrong. But I feel like it's become like. It's like you say Shawshank now, and everybody just thinks prison, right. you know. Yeah. Like, well, it's understandable why they didn't include the Rita Hayworth part. Oh yeah, yeah that, that gets confusing. So you think it's now you think it's a for, set in the forties, and Rita Hayworth meets. It's like um, what the hell is the name of that Tim Robbins movie, Dead Man Walking, with yeah. Susan Sarandon? So this yeah. would be like some Rita Hayworth uh, visits a penitentiary or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> they should have just called it "Get Busy Living" or "Get Busy, Get busy dying. dying." No, I'm just kidding. That would be awful. That'd be worse than this title. Uh, so let's talk about. The hook. Ah. Yes. Don't you see? Don't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future, you can... I can change it. You can change it, exactly. 
Uh, the hook is basically prison, like like a escape from prison, I guess. Although that's kind of the surprise of the book, if you don't know. So. Shawshank spoilers, everybody. Yeah, I know you're reading page the, by page. And but. here come the spoilers. <laughs> no, uh, I it's it's such a simple little story. I mean, basically, we were inside the mind of um, a guy named Red, uh, who in the book is, uh, uh, you know, a red haired Irish fella. And um, it's basically just him telling the story about this this magical man uh, named Andy Dufresne who came to Shawshank Prison and was there for 28 years, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, 28 years. And um, and it's, you know, just about kind of the trials and tribulations of him. And it's basically just a series of vignettes uh, that eventually kind of culminate with Andy escaping from prison. Um, and yeah, I mean, like prison isn't really a place that King visits very often in his work, is it? I can like, think I think of one of other the, example, right? Sleeping well, Beauties. Oh, see, I haven't examples. read it. I can think of two other examples. Well, the stand. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Lloyd Henry, you know, being in prison is something I think about. The, a bit. the Green Mile. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and then Darabont some of the Frank Darabont movie. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. I completely forgot about yeah. Green Mile there. Yeah, I mean, that's like super prison eccentric super prison <laughs> i know it's like yeah but, but uh, yeah, so yeah. Would, do you guys think like how do you guys respond to the way that king kind of depicts this world i mean again i was so used to the film going into it but having read the novella a couple times i think he does a really good job of capturing mm-hmm. time you know in a way that i think you can it's tough to do even with a movie unless you put on a lot of prosthetics right um i think the novella works because you've got you get three wardens in this as well. Yeah. Mm. And, and the fact that he keeps mentioning the years and Red will talk about, oh, and then it's hard to believe that eight years passed and then this happened or mm-hmm. 18 years passed. Um, but that's what I really got out of the, the prison. It, not just the fact that you're, you know, obviously ensconced in this very specific place for X amount of time, but that you're there for your entire life. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you just, I, I never lost sense of the gravity of the situation that, Red was in and everybody he was describing was in. Yeah. There's a weird, I think it, at first glance, contradictory kind of vibe to the novel where I think a lot of it is humanizing criminals that are sentenced yeah. to life sentences or you know very serious long-term sentences in prison and it's supposed to make you feel for them. But it also very clearly sets Andy apart from them. And so there is a sense where Red's constantly saying, you know, he's not like everyone else in here. He mm-hmm. is not a career criminal. He had a walk and a talk about him that made him different. Um, and, of course, he's the exception to everything, and he gets out. So there's this weird, like, yeah, we're going to humanize them, but, like, they're, they are still a class unto themselves. Well, well, yeah, one of the first couple pages, Red says outright, I was responsible for the death. I, I killed my wife mm-hmm. and I was responsible for the death of a neighborhood woman and her and her, her child. child. Yeah. I mean, they established that right off the bat. So right off the bat, you're thinking, okay, good luck, Stephen King trying to make us root for red. Throughout well, this right. Whole thing. But he does it. You know, I don't so know. So I want to know what you guys think. Like hope is obviously the theme of yeah. the novel and probably the movie. Mm-hmm. Like is he, is the message then that anyone could achieve Andy's level of, of, uh, meditative hope and redeem themselves. Get their own Shawshank Redemption? Or is he really that different? Get their own Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption? (laughs) That's a good question. I think it's something that the movie illustrates better in that sense than the book does. But I I do think um, prison at that time and the way that he illustrates it, it's it's almost like I, I would like to think that the prisoners are are capable at some point, like Red or whoever, over the course of whatever time, are able to come to some kind of 
you know, achieve redemption. Uh, yeah, or, or or at least see some kind of hope at the end of the tunnel. And but, I, th- yeah, it's, I, it's it's grim because back then, like, they really didn't release you until you were. And I mean, think about it. I mean, depending like what you did. I mean, like Red was responsible for killing. How old was he when he did that, though? He was twenty or something. Yeah, like that. he was young. Yeah, and uh, so I, I don't know because it, you you see like Brooks in the book. Brooks is is like a murderer. I mean, he's a killer, and he's not as he's not as painted as, as he is in the in the in the movie. And he gets he still gets out. I mean, granted, he's very old, but well, I think the level of I think the hope that we're talking about and the redemption we're talking about is just the general sense of not being broken by. Mm-hmm. The system. prison. Yeah. yeah. And that's because, yeah. you know, when you're there for so long and then you have these guards that, you know, are really vicious and you've got these guys that, you know, uh, like the rape culture is so intense and violent there and it's so hard to protect yourself. And like the only thing like you're never going to be redeemed for murdering, you know, people in cold blood. Like mm-hmm. and like, you know, and that's I think that's in the movie where Red kind of talks about rehabilitation and how rehabilitation isn't really like a real no. thing. Yeah. He's just like, but, you know, the real redemption, I think, is is finding maintaining a sense of humanity uh, throughout such soul crushing conditions. I mean, being thrown in solitary having corrupt people up top, you know, with the wardens and everything. Well, Warden uh, Norton near the end of the novella even tells Andy outright, like, I don't like the way you walk around act, like acting hopeful pretty much yeah. and says, I, I like to see you broken down and, and beaten mm-hmm. and defeated. And you think, well, what, what's the whole purpose of prison? Like, Do we think he's we really only that here? way because he's innocent? Like, is that... Oh, with Andy? Mm-hmm. I don't know because I think, for, here, personally speaking, if I was in prison and I was innocent and then that was it, I would not be walking around like, oh, I'm. No, I would be furious at the world. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. I think you have to have a certain type of attitude and you have to be a unique individual. And I think that that's what Andy is painted as in this thing. You know? Well, and I think that for all of its talk about hope, hope, when Red says hope is dangerous, mm-hmm. yeah. That I think we see that a lot too because Andy, Andy's like closest moments to breaking besides, you know, his first like year there uh, is when he meets Tommy and Tommy is like, I think I know the guy who killed, you know, your wife and the guy. And then he kind of loses his mind a little bit because he's like, I was so like the possibility of freedom is there. And if I like the, you know, the hope that I could escape from here is actually real and there now. But it's like it's like if I don't get that, it will destroy me. And then yeah. he doesn't get that. And it's like, and Red says that's the closest I've ever seen him to like totally snapping. Yeah, he takes off. That's because he keeps referring to Andy as having a, an invisible coat. And which he's able to kind of deflect the horrors of prison. Right. And even during the years of the sisters, he still is able to kind of separate himself from that experience as much as he can until, like you mentioned, near the end where he just finally appears to have been broken down. And friendship is really important, obviously, too. And I think one of the ways the movie improves upon the book is that it actually creates an ensemble, which the book doesn't really have. We don't get to know a lot of the other prisoners. We only really know Red and Andy. I think that's that's. Possibly a deliberate choice by King, though, because if this wasn't first-person narrative, right. maybe we would have had more of an opening up. I think if it was a novel, I definitely think there would have been more of an opening up. And that's what you could. That's what Darabont was able to figure out. Okay, I may make a two-hour and 20-minute movie. Otherwise, it would be 50 minutes long. You mm-hmm. know? So you're able to find other prisoners to latch on to and expand other things that would have... That were just, you know, a paragraph essentially in the book and make it this really moving sequence at the halfway point of the film. And there is, you know, themes, I think like along with hope, there is the general concept of, 
I don't know. It's like it's it's hard. It's hard to articulate necessarily. But I think a lot about the concept of geology and like pressure and time and like this idea of um, of, you know, whether you the rock is broken or whether the rock is polished, you know, and I think that's part of, uh, you know, the the route that you can go in prison is you can either be broken or you can use it as a means to like polish yourself into something. It's like different. patience. Yeah. Patience. It's like a huge deal. Like the, when the more he gets into how long and how painstaking it was for Andy to like chip out of there with the rock hammer, like the more I think about that, the, and it's always been this way with the movie with me, but just the idea that it was over like 20, 20 something years, he was slowly chipping away at that and then taking the rock dust and everything out to the, you know, like cleverly finding ways to take it out to the yard and everything. Like you just think about that. And then you also like, I think it's the thing I was thinking of. I was like, how long did he work every night? Cause when did he sleep? That's what I would think you about know? too. <laughs> Well, that's also why I think he had a, a certain walk about him, and he was taking pride in just dumping all that shit into the yard every day. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I guess yeah, every day he was getting. I one mean, past, that was yeah. a, that was that little you know inch of hope that he was clinging on to, and and yeah. So, like you said, when Tommy tells him that, you know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's that real hope that, yeah. oh my god, I, I could actually get out of here, and then yeah, it, it brings him to the brink, and so I don't know how that was a month long in the in the hole didn't break him after that point, but yeah. Well, I think too, it's, um, I guess, I guess one of the things that really stands out both about the movie and the book and the movie does such a good job of capturing the tone of the book is that this is a story about prison and murderers and, um, you know, horrible conditions and horrible people, but it's like, it's one of King's like warmest kind of, uh, books, you know, one might say hope springs eternal. (laughs) I I think that's why. It was so successful, the movie. It's like Mm. a safe movie for manly men to enjoy because it has all the grit, but it also has all the warm fuzzies. It's like the Field of Dreams thing. it's safe for them, yeah. Yeah. People call it a guy cry movie, which I think is funny. Exactly. That's what it is. It's what it is. It doesn't make me me cry because I'm a big boy. Oh, that's right. Randall doesn't cry cry movies. It makes me want to watch. I never watched Oz, (laughs) but I want to see like... The contrast. I, I've never cried at Oz. <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> I laughed a lot. I've laughed a lot. No, um, I, I'll say this about Oz. The first three seasons are awesome. Yeah, I agree 100%. And then it becomes how many people can we kill every episode? How many people on death row can we literally put in a GQ spread? <laughs> remember, that, remember that plot line? Yeah. Oh, God. It's insane. I could literally do a podcast about Oz, though, just to talk yeah. about uh, all the insane deaths that happen. You, in you that call show. it? Call Wait. it Pauscast. Pauscast. Oh and like have like the O and Z is the logo. <laughs> all right. It's going to happen. Um, so I think this, I think it's a good time to pivot over into talking about the structure and format. This does take place from Red's perspective. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I kind of like about the book is that, you know, we realize as it's going on that this is like a manuscript that he's writing. Like these are notes that he's writing. And I kind of love that it end, it has an ending yeah. and then it picks up again because he actually gets out. Like he finishes it and mm-hmm. it's all about Andy. And then it's like a year later and then it's about him. It's about that he got out. And he's trying to adjust to the world. And that's the only, that. yeah. it's the only chap break we have. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's entirely no chapter breaks, no right. white space, no. just stream 
of consciousness writing. I'm wondering if that didn't happen again until Dolores Claiborne, which yeah. is also first person. I, I, but I think that's just, it just blows by. I think that's just one, yeah. one true thread to, to take a Dark Tower reference. Well, he has such a, Red has such a clear voice. Like mm. he has, it's such like a confident, simple like voice. And maybe some of that has to do with, you know, it's almost impossible to read it without thinking of Morgan Freeman, you know, because it's true. true. But at the same time, there is such like, there's a clarity and there's a confidence and there is a, a warmth and a real likability to Red. Like, like you said, first page, he talks about how he killed three people, including his wife and a child. But it's like, but he wins you over because he, there's, he talks about it with such a pragmatism. Like I was young and it was awful and I regret it every day. And I'm doing my time here and he's not indignant about it. He understands that he fucked up and he's accepted his lot in life. And I think there's this, this sort of pragmatic quality to that character in the sense that um, he seems to have found his place within the prison landscape and he seems to understand his place in the world, I think really helps us sort of, you know, feel very comfortable living with him. And also there's been like 20 years since he committed the crime or so yeah. when we began. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I was just going to say that, when I started to read it, because I knew that, you know, obviously, you know, he's, you know, white and Irish in the the book, I was trying to picture someone else. Yeah. And I I thought that the language was going to be very Irish. So Mm -hmm. I was going to be able to like distance myself from Morgan Freeman, but I I couldn't at all. It was, (laughs) it wasn't, it wasn't present enough, uh, you know, to, to really have anyone else in mind. Irishisms. Do you know who I pictured as, as, um, which really messed things up for me reading it again. I pictured the actor who played Boggs. Boggs. Yes. I had the same thought. As Red. That's That's the way he's described. Yeah. 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 Who was also, um, who was he in? Was he, uh, Apone in, um, Aliens? Oh God. No, he was uh, Drake. I knew I recognized him, and it yeah. is Drake. That's it's Drake's the one that's like, you're so bad. Yes. Yes. Friendship. Oh, bad. Love too that bad friendship. Bad that's like yeah. my favorite movie, love Friendship just of too All bad Time. Vasquez. Just too bad, Vasquez. <laughs> I, uh, when I was a kid, I had, too a, bad, Andy. <laughs> I had Aliens action figures before I ever saw the movie, because I thought they were really cool. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I remember I had a Drake action figure, and then I was so disappointed, because he like kind of dies really quickly in the movie. <laughs> I feel like he does. for most of my life, pop culture Drake was just Drake from Aliens, and then that Canadian rapper took it, took it oh, away from me. That Canadian. Canadian rapper. rapper from De- <laughs> the, the paralyzed kid from Degrassi, the oh next God. generation. Aubrey. Um, yeah, I no, I had that Aubrey. same thought. That's his name. <laughs> I, know, I, know. Uh, I had that same thought about Boggs. But um, yeah, like I think that I think it's a good way to tell the story, too, because I think that the you know, it's it's I think if you're going to write stories about like about killers in prison and stuff like that. And you know, this, you really do need to approach it from a, like a really deeply human like perspective. Mm. And I think that's the thing about red is like, we get such a good sense of that character and we get such a, uh, a strong POV and he, you know, he's the guy who kind of knows everything about the prison and he writes about it like just so simply. And I think that the thing that the thing is like the movie is so much more satisfying than the book because you know, we stick with the same set of characters in the movie, like because he folds all the wardens into one mm-hmm. character and he right. folds all the guards into uh, Hadley, like yeah. Clancy Brown's character. And we we actually see them get their comeuppance. But none of that ever really happens in the book. Like Hadley just retires because he has a heart attack. Yeah. Plus, I, it's in direct opposition to the movie because Red is constantly asserting that he doesn't know if this really happened this way. It's all sort of word of mouth. Yeah. He is oh, an expert yeah. and he there's knows nothing. what's going on, but there's no true observer. Whereas the movie is like, 
a camera is recording yeah, literally yeah. what happens. There's no so, omissions to it, but like, yeah, the movie is, yeah. Yeah, and I guess, like, I kind of enjoy that, and I also like the ambiguity of the ending and the way that Red is just sort of, like, positing, this is how I think. Yeah. This is how I'm piecing together all these different things that I've learned about Andy over the last 28 years, and you know, just based on conversations and everything else. And I think that that's really interesting. And then there's also the ambiguity of the ending. We never get the scene where they actually do meet in Mexico. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, and we will get there, but it's like, there is a part of me that just has no hope whatsoever that they would actually link up, you know, like in the book, it's, it's, it just seems like it would, it's, it's all too easy, but Hope Springs Eternal. Hope Springs Eternal. They have to meet up. I think that's the thing that I struggle with the most in the story is um, so many things just seem too convenient, you know? Like, even though I know it is about, like, patience and this idea that he was chiseling through the wall and everything, but just the the fact that he would be able to chisel through it. Uh, and that it the would... pipe was made out of porcelain? Yes, exactly. Well, like, that was the 50s. I know, know. 60s, I know. You know. And just like, it was like, and then the where his cell was and that his cell was never turned over, that they never pulled the poster down, that he never had another person in there except for that one guy, yeah. which I love that. And that's like, I think that's such a fun bit for the reader. Yeah. Oh, there was uh, always cold in there. there. Yeah, always, the, the, really I will say about the, if you remember though, about the, the porcelain pipe, he realized, I think he had to do it now because in a year yeah, or so they were going to, Gonna redo, it. redo it to yeah. the modern uh the modern pipeline and that that's really neat too and i really like that it's yeah so um yeah i mean it's so short it's like you know and it's not it's such a simple like i like what you pointed out mel i guess that i didn't even really think about it. it's like there's no chapter breaks i mean i guess there are chapter breaks but like there's like little pauses yeah there's pauses but there's not there's no yeah yeah pause. it just yeah. moves like so quickly i mean i'd say that i read this quicker than any other stephen king story like and i'm a slow reader like i'm a very very slow reader like i remember even running man like which is such like a fast-paced story it took me fucking forever to that read countdown that. destroyed me in the end i know <laughs> oh god 43 <laughs> and counting that means there's probably about 43 pages left, i know. You know yeah it was like i was like losing my mind reading running man but i also didn't really like running man whereas yeah. i really love this story and i think it's it's lovely and i think so much of that has to do with the fact that we view it through red's you know lens it makes yeah. me really wonder how it first came into being in stephen king's mind when i write a story it's usually centered around one image or one scene and i want to get there I, this is it's just all his stories are so far reaching and, and they're so broad and then they zooms in on these really cool snippets and then zooms back out again and i just like what is the seed of inspiration for something like loosely, this loosely 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 based on i think a tolstoy short story really um which i, I read this a little bit of the short story as in it's based on somebody who dug their way out of prison that's really where the inspiration ends mm-hmm. but that, you know, that's it. Well, there is something kind of whimsical almost about the idea of digging yourself out of prison. Yeah. And um, because it seems like such an like an uh, an impossible thing to do. Yeah. And it seems like a tall tale, too. Like, yeah. it's very oh, much like absolutely. this legendary figure. Absolutely. And I knew him. But, it's, of course, it's not going to be from his perspective. It's going to be from my perspective, the person who was kind of listening. Um, that might just be a structure he was drawn to. But, I, yeah, I'm just so curious. Like, it just seems so well thought out and, like... Mm. I agree. In the book, how how thick is the wall in the book? In the movie, it goes down that tunnel, and you're like, "What?" It's like, <laughs> like ten it feet, seems right? Long. I'm but assuming the, it's the same because it took him just as long to dig in the in the novella than I it does think in the ten book, feet. So. Yeah, was yeah ten feet, and then the gap, and then another ten feet, yeah. or maybe five feet, and then the gap, and the number five feet. I don't oh, know, something it. like that. Yeah, wow. it's it crazy was similar to think distance. About. Yeah. But um, yeah, I. 
Yeah, let's let's move on because we're talking about we're talking about characters a little bit, and I think that it could behoove us to because I have I had some thoughts on Mr. Dufresne. Mm. So uh, let's Dufresne. Dufresne. <laughs> let's uh, let's do some zeros and villains. I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you see what he's done? <laughs> is that is that this part? No, no, that's, no, that's, that's, that's evil tweets. That's evil tweets. Oh no, actually, that's what the warden says when he discovers that Andy's broken out. <laughs> Don't you see what he's done? <laughs> Should have got Ed Harris for that. Oh yeah. man. Um, so yeah, let's talk character. Uh, let's talk about Andy because I find I think Andy like we talk about. I think I, the the reason I wanted to pivot a little bit was you mentioned Tall Tale, mm. and I think that that's probably it's it's good to look at Andy through kind of a mythic lens, definitely, um, and that's definitely how he's kind of painted. But there is part of me that like like Andy annoys me in that he kind of feels kind of like magical sometimes, and I understand that that's sort of just the lens we're getting him through. Yeah. But uh, like the scene that always annoys me is when he goes up to Hadley on the roof when they're doing the tarring and he just goes, you trust your wife? Like when you're tarring the roof, you're just going to go up to the scariest guy there and and be like, you trust your wife? It's like, why don't you say, excuse me, sir? I heard you talking about how you're getting this money. And, you know, and it just drives me. And I understand that that's probably the filtering through the lens of red. But at the same time, I'm just kind of like, Andy, stop being such a precious little prick and like mysterious and whatever. Yeah. And uh, and actually just talk to somebody like a human being. I think he's this character is just so pragmatic. He doesn't I feel he's got awkward social skills. I think they might even talk about that a little bit where he just hears something and thinks, oh, I have I have a a way of helping this person, maybe helping myself. Do you trust your wife? It's supposed to be like, oh, uh, sir, excuse me. for I know. I I think he's just such a a corporate guy, too. He just wouldn't think to be. To, to kind of weave his way in there. He, he hasn't been in prison long enough, I don't think. A hundred percent. That's why everybody else is kind of like, Andy, would you shut the fuck up? Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I think that's definitely true. But, but the talk like, thing that you're going through as well yeah. is also possible because maybe he wasn't so black and white exactly. about it. You know? yeah. No, they paint that too in the just in the opening s- sequence of the book where he's at the trial and you know they're calling him like the even Stephen Killer. He's just, oh, he's yeah. just cold he's already that. off. He's just already off. That's a good point. not very yeah. socially... You know, they they just they're like you're 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 cold. You're you know yeah. Because they said like and, if he wailed and cried you know, on the stand, he probably wouldn't have yeah, got a license. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. But he just he couldn't do that. That's just not who he is. So right, that's just, a good it point. It makes more sense that he would approach all that stuff in a weird way. I guess like in that way, he's just so different than Red in that way. Like uh, there is a warmth to Andy, but at the same time, there's this like clinical quality yeah. that I find you know. A little bit precious at times. I feel like you would be the um. I forgot the name. Hat Hadley. The the the, the um. Oh my god, the Sadler character. Oh, Haywood? It'd be you with like the hat on, like, <laughs> how you gotta be so pragmatic? Yeah, I know. Like with some suspenders and a yeah. white beater. Well, <laughs> I also think it's also painted like that because it's seen through Red's eyes, where yep. he's so he's just like this person that should not be there. And right. so and he seems so off. it's so off because he's the only probably the only you know one that didn't actually do anything that's in that prison so it just to him it just come he comes off so strange well i think as red even says of all the people he's met in prison over the years there's maybe 10 people that he actually believed were innocent and right. he was one of them yeah so. i i have to say one part that took me out of that with andy because i agree with everyone everything your guys are saying 
first of all, you're surprised. I feel like I was surprised in the book when he's described as a small person. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, yeah. you can't help but think of Tim Robbins. You can't. Who's, who's described as a, a tall drink of water yeah. the first time Morgan Freeman sees him. And Morgan Freeman. And... The the fact that Andy smuggles five hundred dollars up his ass yes. into the prison that's a very like I know what prison is move like it's so uh, kind well, of I think he probably thought okay well he, he probably did study as to you know what they were going to do and how they would investigate me coming into the prison and so that was like pragmatism kind of coming back like well I guess I'm gonna have to stick five hundred dollars in my ass <laughs> it's just not a banker move like I feel it's like a, baller like a, a banker would be like up my where <laughs> pardon me. Yeah, and I mean, in a way, though, you can sort of see why his wife would cheat on him with a hunky tennis pro. Yeah, well, because loser. he seems kind of like a golf cold pro. fish. Oh, golf pro. I thought it was tennis. Well, think golf. about this, too, though, because uh, the diff- another difference from the film, the, uh, you know, his whole plan when, he, when he's going to escape, yeah. I mean, he lays that out to Red uh, and, and talks about, oh, you know, under the tree, there's this, there's, I've got this thing buried and it's got the alias of this other guy and all this. So he's already done all that stuff pre going to prison. So, you know, he was already that kind of person, I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? And to even the financial kind of stuff. stuff he set up with his friend uh, in the book, it's different in the movie. Like in the movie, he steals the warden's money. It's a different, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the book, he, he kind of coordinated like stocks and stuff, right? Yeah, he was, right. I think he was able to sell off something before he was for, or he would, they put the, um, the, the freeze on his accounts. Right, point, yeah. right. Yeah. He saw it coming. He's, yeah. he's a smart guy. He's a, he's, he's a cold fish, but he's a smart doggy. <laughs> cold I guess fish. like I, I struggle with tall tales sometimes because I kind of hate stories sometimes that are just built around like one amazing figure that everybody loved and everybody like, you know, thought was the greatest thing. I can't go a week without you talking about how much you hate Paul Bunyan. It's just I hate Paul Bunyan. Uh, him and his fucking ox. Oh, like who so, are you trying to impress with your blue ox? You're buddy? giants, of course you get away with stuff. We all know that the ox though was the real star of that Babe. story. Babe the blue ox. I always think of Fargo when uh when Francis McDormand or something, she's just like she's like Babe the Blue Ox, and then like William H. Macy just laughs. Like, like that's the funniest thing in the world because he's so awkward. I just I don't know, like who came up with that? You know, American folklore is lame. It really is. Like, you know, you, you have all these great stories overseas, and then you get here and you're like Oh, this giant guy and his giant ox, and it's just the. I guess the ox is blue. Or oh, something. yeah. Something we got some kid who goes around throwing seeds in the ground to grow apples. Uh, we call him uh, Johnny Appleseed. And then, was, <laughs> and then we got Henry uh, building the railroad, right? Uh, uh, Henry. Wait, what? John Henry. John Henry. Like, well, well that's that's I think not. Uh, American, uh, well, I don't know. That's a whole other... Is that a tall tale? You, you, know, you know what my reference point is? Is uh, Disney's uh, tall tales. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, we got a president with wooden teeth. Uh, we'll call him George Washington. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got a president who tells the truth all the time. Honest Abe. Sure, sure. Honest oh, Abe. Uh, so what other characters stand out for you guys? There's a character named Red, I think, that stands out. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Red. Red. Um, Red's all right. I like how Red is... Again, like I, th- I think you mentioned Randall, just acceptance of where he is and yeah. he's likely to live the rest of his life. Andy walks around like, I, guess, I think he's more hopeful or just ex- accepting in his own way. But the way Red describes it as, is, um, he says, I never worry in a place like this. There's no percentage in it. Mm-hmm. So I think, again, he's pragmatic in his own way, too, and just kind of drawing the line between hope and reality. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that that really helps paint their friendship and mm-hmm. it really helps show like why those two were so gravitated towards each other. It's not just like a friendship of convenience. 
And I love the the pace of it all, too. And just like I feel like that first interaction between them where Andy gets the um, the rock hammer is such like a great scene and such a great piece of writing. And uh, like when they were filming that scene, Morgan Freeman and Frank Darabont were actually kind of getting into it because Darabont kept wanting to do more takes because he wanted that scene to be so perfect. And Morgan Freeman was like, I am not doing this anymore. Like, we got it. We're done here. And like, they were like throwing. Did you say that to him? He was like, like, no, I was was exaggerating. We're done here. But like, even Morgan Freeman, though, said he's like, he, he basically said he's like, the there was a very tense set from all the reports and Morgan's basically said he goes my I clashed with the director a lot like he wouldn't say Darabont he just said clash with the director a lot because he, he kind of <laughs> wanted to film scenes way too many times and Darabont owned up to it and said I was young and I was just yeah, you know it was his first major film it was the first major film and he was really nervous and like wanted to make sure he got it but I think that speaks to how important that scene is because it 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 not only shows like re, like really helps show like red in action and what his place is within that world. But it also introduces like Andy's sense of pragmatism and also the dynamic that exists between them and how important that is and how there is this sense of mutual respect that comes there. And, you know, and it's like, Andy's like also really naive at that moment. Like, I love that moment when he's like, he's like, how do I know you're not going to use the hammer to like kill somebody? And he's like, I have no enemies here. And it's just kind of like, it's like, Oh, sweet thing. Like you, Mm. you don't even know like what's going to happen to you. (laughs) I feel like in the book, again, this goes back to the more, I guess, like realistic portrayal and how it's he hears everything secondhand. Like they're not their cells aren't next door to each other. They're not as physically close as they are in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this sort of more businessy relationship there. And I, I do feel like, you know, they're friends in the book. But this book is more about Red's view of prison and how Andy disrupted it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, That's a good point. And I just feel like you know, so much of it is read just ruminating about how prison is without Andy and the different facets of prison life and how Andy reacts to them and kind of, and kind of just subverts everyone's expectations. So that to me was like way more time spent in the book on the past than the movie deals with, which is pretty much only present and future. Um, I thought that was interesting and again, more realistic to me. So it was a cool grounded portrayal of the stuff that happens in the movie as if the yeah. movie came first, which it did <laughs> That's not. Right. It's like, it's like based, it's yeah. one of those based on the movie. The <laughs> funny thing is, so, Stephen King did a really yeah. good job of taking really, elements of the movie. He was tight for money. He had just came out of the hospital. He was tight for money. You know? The funny thing is though, it really, it really, really, really is hard to like view this on its own. Uh, I want to talk about that a little bit now. It's, it's going to be tough to even wait to the end because, yeah. again, this is such a well-known, well-regarded movie that yeah. we all experienced before reading yeah, it. Yeah, none of us and read first. Impos- for me, it was impossible so, to truly detach the novella from the movie. Yeah. You know? I, I think we should just do this now. I think we should just talk about the movie as we go through it because it's almost impossible. We've already been doing it so much. Yeah, we already you know, have I don't think been. we need to wait to the end. I think yeah. it's fine. I mean, we're There's exploring so both things in depth. You know, let's just continue on but like don't feel like you can't talk about the movie right now thank you mac well in that case randall why don't you talk about timmy robbins (laughs) i'm gonna talk about timmy robbins who i think uh, i think he's good casting for andy and only because like i find him annoying in the same way i kind of find andy annoying but also really likable in the way i find andy really likable i mean that's the thing about that character is i just i find him a little bit you know, he's one of those characters that I don't trust at all, even though he is trustworthy. Yeah. You know, it's mainly just because there's a preciousness to the character and there's a preciousness to Tim Robbins performance. And like when I was taking some notes, I was reading about 
uh, Robbins, and it said to prepare for the role, Robbins observed caged animals at a zoo. Oh, oh God. Spent an, you know what? Wait, really, wait, wait. He, uh, spent an afternoon in solitary confinement, spoke with prisoners and guards, and had his arms and legs shackled for a few hours. And I just wrote, I wrote next whoa. to it, I wrote next to it, how annoying with an exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> I, I will accept one of those things. He talked to prisoners and guards. I know, right? <laughs> what was the thing that Lawrence Olivier said to Dustin Hoffman on the set of Marathon Man where... Dustin Hoffman was asking Lawrence Olivia how he how he like gets ready for his performances. Does he like live in the roles? And Lawrence Olivia goes, um, it's called acting, dear boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also Lawrence Olivier. And know? I think he also in that same conversation or something was kind of like, why do you act? You know, like, yeah. expecting some like uh, noble thing. And I think Lawrence Olivier was like, he goes, he goes, and then he like looked in Dustin Hoffman's face and he was like, look at me, look at me, like, <laughs> 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 which is so true. Oh, I love it. But yeah, I think yeah, if we're t- and I think the thing is especially talking about characters it is good to fold in the movie because the book really it's not it's a character book in that it's about andy and it's about red we really only get red's character yes we can't we can't trust we can't trust anything he really says about andy to go that deep and it's like the norton and it's yeah because it's not like red ever really interacted with norton he was writing from a sense of, of uh remove because andy was the one who had the line in with him and Hadley is, you know, one among many guards. And right. like, I mean, honestly, like Boggs is probably one of the bigger characters in the story only because there's a lot of focus around that specific character. Whereas yeah. we get a lot of in the movie, we get a lot of composite characters like, well, because we get uh, they fold, uh, you know, all of the guards into Hadley and they fold all of the wardens into Norton. And I think that makes it a more satisfying watch because you really do want to like you know, you want to be able to follow these characters. I mean, it's tough when you are over like a 28 year period because yeah, guards turn over, wardens turn over yeah. and things like that happen. People look the same age 28 years later. I know. Clancy, like they didn't even <laughs> try to age Clancy Brown at all. Well, he looked like that out of the womb anyway. <laughs> yeah. Clancy sure. Brown has looked the Tells same like for, you know, forever. Wait, I totally well, get what you're saying about yeah. um, Tim Robbins because the, the one scene again on the roof when he goes and sits apart from everyone else and just smiles against the light. But I think all of that works, all of it, not just that, but the whole movie works is because we, we trust Red so much and, yeah. and we trust Red Red's right. Re- Red's reverence for <laughs> Red's reverence uh, for for the character. So we're kind of looking at him through his eyes and like, oh, you know what? You have that. You just watch. Yeah. You observe everybody, Andy. You deserve it. You know. Friday is like at the end of the at the end of the novel. Just it starts spiraling out. And you realize Red's in an insane asylum the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time we oh we, we really shouldn't have trusted him. It's all in his mind. Doctor Dufresne. <laughs> Dufresne. Yeah. Not Dufresne either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. He's like I don't speak French. <laughs> But I, I guess, yeah, I guess one of, I think, the real standout, like, you know, you, you, you look at adaptations and I think adaptations are, it's so complicated. Like, you know, I remember loving the book Ellie Confidential when I was young yeah. and then the film adaptation, I loved it. But also at the same time, I was like, he changed everything. Yeah. But at the same, like, uh, who was it? Brian Hegel, Helgeland? Who Helgeland did that? and yeah. uh, Curtis Hansen, I think. Has, yeah, yeah. And like, but then you, you really think about how hard it is to adapt and like to... Like, you know, that's why I think the 112263 adaptation is so good because they really consider what we need to do to make this work in another medium. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Gerald's game, he's so reverent. Like, Mike Flanagan was so reverent in yeah. his adaptation, but that was the right move. I mean, debating the ending. We, we can <laughs> yeah. touch on that another time. But it's like uh, – Whereas, like, I think Darabont's adaptation here is brilliant yes. because he not only, like, takes little sections of the story, like, literally Brooks is one paragraph yeah. in the story. And he's a composite character. Yeah. 
Because there's another character that has Jake the, the bird. pigeon, yeah, which is and a crow. In the movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> they couldn't find any pigeons yeah. in the where they were shooting at the time. And then, uh, but then adding the whole intrigue with Tommy, like with him instead of just going to a minimum security prison, which is yeah, that is probably the better, the safer thing to do instead yeah. of killing him. But yes. it's more dramatic and it works. And then I find that really satisfying. But also, I love that he created an ensemble which was not dictated in the uh, story at all. But building, you know, having this kind of motley crew of prisoners that Red kind of pals around with and showing the camaraderie that builds between them and Andy, I think is so important to what makes the movie work. And we've talked about this with the adaptation of other short stories, um, such as especially Children of the Corn, where that's the story and that's as strong as it's ever going to be because if you you lengthen that, you have to add in the kid characters. And it doesn't work. It takes away the mystery. But like you said, when you've got 28 years of that prison playground, essentially you can expand it. You can, you can do 20 minutes on a character with a paragraph in the book. You can mm-hmm. really boil down a warden from three to one and really focus on how bad this person is supposed to having to kind of break apart every 45 minutes and introduce a new evil right. warden. <laughs> Cause they're in all the, corrupt well, in the book too. In the know? novella, it has to be the corrupt system is the major antagonist and there's all these representatives and they cycle in and out. And that's part yeah. of why it's scary, right? It's yeah. like, there's just, they're replaceable and they're all bad and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The movie does something really great, which very few movies can pull off in that they have two distinct, but allied villains that have their own ways of being villainous. Like you've basically got the, like the bronze and the brain and they get characters and it's yeah. awesome. One character that I, Liked in the story was the Sid the story about Sid Nadu or Nadu. Oh, the, the only other person to have to escaped escape. Shawshank. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know that's not in the movie, but um, I I, just, I love that story how he just walked out. Yeah, and it's just so like, and that's also not one of those things you're like, did this really happen? Well, is that the same? You know? per- I, I forgot. Is that the same person who's just drawing the foul lines? Yeah. on the baseball yeah. field. Yeah, and yeah. Just keeps and then he going, just keeps going, and then, and then just, the, the changing of the guards, and they just yeah. happen to not notice him leave. And it, it's almost so incredible that you believe it. Yeah. Uh, so whether or not it actually happened, I, I don't know. But I, I like how Red and, and him and Andy kind of talk about like, you know, what does he do? Every once in a while, they'll talk about like, oh, I wonder what Sid's doing. Like, and they think he's uh, uh oh, what's it called that the the guy that jumped out of the plane. Oh, oh DB. D.B. Cooper. D.B. Sweeney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. D.B. Sweeney. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Star of the cutting edge. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that, I like that character, too. But that's just a, another little... He's a goatee. Ah. Story in there. Sorry. <laughs> we just derailed Sorry, you to talk no. about Spawn right. you, know, uh, you know, I could talk about Spawn all day, a little dark saga. Okay, no. I uh, surf. Yeah. He, too, uh, escaped from a place. Yeah, it's true. He did. He yes. Did. Uh, yeah. What, uh, what other characters stand out? I, I I love the addition of of um, of Haywood as kind of the comic relief. Uh, yeah. We were talking about him earlier, but like, I love casting William Sadler in that role because William Sadler to me is like such he's a great. villain because of Die Hard Two, and I'll always love him for that. And like, I just feel like most things I've seen him in, he's played that. When he does Darabont, he plays kind of like doofy comic characters. He's so the good Mist in that. as well, right? He's also in the yeah. Mist he's in the Mist, similar character. Yeah, and then he and apparently they work together on I think. Uh, not maybe Tales from the Crypt, Tales or Dark oh, Side, Demon Knight. Uh, one of them. It was probably a Tales from the Crypt, actually. That because makes sense. Darabont was writing for yeah. it, and he uh, Sadler was in an episode, so you can see that maybe he probably saw the comic side of Sadler working on Tales from the Crypt. So he probably wanted to bring that out in him because I don't think he probably got a chance to show that off a lot. Well, I feel this was probably. Well, I know he did Walter Hill's Trespass in between ah. Die Hard Two. And Shawshank. And, and he's much more of a good guy in Trespass. Interesting. Well, you know what? He's a good guy, but he's a bit of a criminal. Kind of like he is in Shawshank. Yeah. 
this? When did oh. Demon Knight come out? That was probably a oh, year yeah. after. He's in Demon Knight. Yeah, it was a year he? after yeah. this. Uh, well, what I love too is that, that was the end of our Bill Sadler podcast. <laughs> I, I could do a whole podcast. Well, we can talk about Roswell. He's uh, cute. I hope he comes back. He is I very think cute. The he, reboot what's of that. Something weird about Haywood is that I feel like the first time we see him, he has a stutter, and then it like never comes back. Yes, I noticed that. I wonder if Darabont. You know, maybe after the years, he was he was able to stutter. That was like his character trait. Was like he, he no longer had a stutter after he was there for so long. Like, well, this guy's been there for so long. He, he lost a stutter. Well, one of the things that I was thinking when I was reading was my memory of the movie. Cause I watched the movie directly after I read it. My memory of the movie was that all the criminals were kind of like folksy, cool guys. And then when I was reading the book, I'm like, Oh yeah, they're all killers. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. so I had that moment. I'm like, I wonder if they actually show any darker side of them. And what I like is that right at the beginning, we see Haywood like, uh, hassling that uh, fat guy in yeah. prison mm-hmm. yeah. and then um, like and saying horrible shit to him and then makes the guy like start crying and then he gets the shit kicked out of him by the but guards. But then he still is like shut up man. Shut yeah. up. I don't yeah. want to see you get beaten yeah. up. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, yeah. it's all a game. It's a gentlemanly it, ribbing. And then the next morning you really see the remorse when he finds out yeah. he's dead. Well, so, it's, it's, so, but they, I they do, do like, like they do enter some humanity into the into the, the five person ensemble right. of the movie. Which but is I important. do like that they show a little bit of, the, of like yeah they he is a criminal and he is kind of a bully but he doesn't want anybody to get hurt you know yeah, right. but it's and they're like, all betting they're all betting too yeah. it's not yeah. just him you know? yeah and like they're all laughing about it too yeah. also not in the book great addition the whole like it's a it's a good thing to bet on as any i guess it's true like, gonna, think in the book it's mentioned first. as a one-off like oh yeah people will cry their first 10 days and we'll see who lives but then again in the movie like they do like like darabond like Darab- does so well he expands upon that whole sentence mm-hmm. and makes a whole bit for it yeah you know? one might say you know when you're in prison things change yeah, one might say that. I uh, another character uh, we touched on before we started recording. Very small role, but very pivotal role. Elwood Blatch. What a Oof, name, man! He's so scary. Yeah, you don't get a name like that and grow up to be a accountant. I, you grow up to be a bad boy, <laughs> a bad Blatch, a bad Blatch, <laughs> uh, a bad Blatch. But whoever, wow. whatever actor they got for that, we were talking about that dude is terrifying. Yeah, he's, and he's like he's literally a, he's in it for like less than a minute yeah. of screen time. <laughs> he looks like. Uh, a slightly younger version of Julian Beck from Poltergeist 2. I was thinking oh, that. yeah. Because the, the, the teeth. Yeah, yeah. The teeth. I yeah. thought of Julian Beck. Um, that's really interesting. But I think that's like, that's that storyline to me is almost a little convenient, but it also is, I think, so necessary to the story and really creepy. And um, yeah, like the casting is really on point for this. And the funny thing is like, they were supposed to get, like, I mean, they were initially, we, well, we could talk more about this later, but like, this is supposed to start Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and Harrison Ford. And oh, my God. This is, a, yeah, no. Like, no. it was, but so, but then, you know, Sadler kind of ended up, I mean, Sadler. I'm, like, so obsessed with William <laughs> Sadler. No, but Daramont ended up filling it with all these kind of really kind of interesting character actors. I mean, Bob Gunton wasn't, like, a big name. No. He was, like, a, a stage and TV guy. Clancy Brown was, Clancy, like, a genre guy. Yeah, he was know. a genre guy. But, like, that's such perfect casting, though. I love Clancy Brown. But, uh, yeah, and then, like, William Sadler and then um, even just some of the, like, the the other prisoners. I'm like, I've seen these guys in, like, a hundred sure. movies. You the know guards. I, mean? the I guards. have a list of the guards. Um, yeah, for yeah. instance, uh, Paul McCrane, who plays Guard Trout, he was the guy from RoboCop who becomes mutated when he comes yeah, out yeah. of no the... No shit. Uh, that's uh-huh. him. Oh, that's... 
Uh, then Jude Chicago. He's also in the ER. Oh. Yeah, this guy, uh, one of the <laughs> guards. They're like, we're going to make you a guy in a uniform with a couple lines. That's <laughs> yeah. your whole deal. That's what I could be. I was like, oh, this guy is also in the X-Files later on. I think he became a main member of, oh, on ER. Yeah. He gets his arm chopped off by a hel- helicopter propeller. Oh, that's, oh, la- that's Lady R, right? <laughs> yeah, oh. I was going to say, that, that sounds that's like post, Lady R. That's post-Justin watching yeah. ER. Yeah, no, um, uh, there's a great character actor I love named uh, Jude Chicacachella, and he plays one of the um, yeah. prison guards, and that dude is, like, always a tough guy in movies. Like, he's in Sin City, I remember, and he plays, like, a guy, like, I can't remember the exact role, but he basically just screams and beats the shit out of I people. I remember him and, as the shop teacher in Pete and Pete. Yes, he's a shop teacher in Pete yeah. and Pete. and he was also oh, Mike on 24. Mike, Mike from 24. Mike Slurm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Slurm. Who's, who's the guy that's also in the ensemble of prisoners who is given Haywood shit? He looks a little older. He's got like kind of a very boxy face. I know who you're talking about. I know who you're talking that's, about. So that's oh that's one of those that guys, but yep. I, I couldn't pull. I've seen that guy in like a hundred movies. Great face. Love his face. You're talking about the guy that looks kind of like remind me of Ron Perlman a little bit? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That dude's so good. I've seen him in like a hundred things. I, um, I know we're just talking about what well, we're talking about characters, right? We're talking about movies. Yeah, well, so I, just, we, I just wanted to say also, though, R- Randall, you might appreciate this, Mac. Uh, Mel, if you're a Seinfeld fan, you'll appreciate this. I but am. Guard, um, I think Guard Young, is it Youngblood maybe, uh-huh. is uh, Ned Bellamy, who play, who's um, the guy in Seinfeld that Lane hires. He wears like the, the army fatigues with the cutoff oh, sleeves yes. to, run the, to run the department. That's late Seinfeld. That's late Seinfeld. <laughs> oh, That's what wow. then, yeah. But it's with the guy, Neil, um, Neil Giantoli, who plays Jigger, is the guy who does the bootlegging, <laughs> the bootlegger. Oh, yes. <laughs> a tough guy. <laughs> I, I love these Seinfeld occurrences. And of course, um, David uh, Praval, who plays Snooze, who doesn't have a lot to say. He's no. one of the ensemble, but he is also in um, The Sopranos. Ah. He's... His brother-in-law, who gets killed by oh, uh, yeah. Janice, I think. Yeah, I remember that. Also in the Monster Squad. Uh, you Monster love Monster Squad. Back to Blatch for just a quick second. <laughs> yeah. Hot second. One thing I really like about both the book and the movie is that it avoids um, something that I think King is, is fond of because it's so fun to do, which is making someone just pure evil for the fun of it. Yes. And like being like, this guy was a cold-blooded killer and he murdered the wife and the and the golf pro. But really, Blatch is like this scaredy cat who jumps at everything and probably shot them because, you know, it was scared and something scared him. He makes him. himself out to be smart, and but that, he's not. Yeah, yeah. if yeah. there is any, and, and like even, again, like Byron and, and Norton are two different kinds of like scary evil. N- neither of them are like just kind of pure Randall Flash or whatever exactly. yeah and that's another thing too i wanted to mention was uh, that anybody picked up on that that it was again like a woman's messing around with a tennis pro that golf i want to mention that. Oh. there has been oh, three instances pro, of this because in creep show yes um the character has an affair i think with a tennis pro with yeah. ted danson and, and cujo something cujo yeah but he's not he's not an athlete though he's just uh steve is a tennis like instructor oh you're right he is so hold on, that's two so then the third one and then the ledge. Side, yeah, cat's the ledge. Yeah. Stephen King really does not like athletics. Something tells you that maybe, <laughs> tells me that maybe once upon a time I Tabby was start rumors. Tabby was taking some tennis lessons and Stephen <laughs> maybe tennis like and it. golf lessons. I don't <laughs> some know, sort of specific. instrument that you swing to hit a ball. <laughs> it's very specific is all I'm saying. It's four it's four instances. But is there any more hateable like uh, person than a tennis instructor? Besides, like, a Nazi? Um, I, again, I'm thinking about the tennis instructor from Seinfeld who's actually a bad tennis player. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, look at the baby. Look at the baby. Right, oh, sorry. my God. No, no more sorry. Seinfeld. No, no more Seinfeld. Um, the Seinfeld All right, let's, let's talk about, we did the guards. We yeah. did part of the ensemble. Let's talk about either Norton or Hadley. Well, I'll say Ooh, yeah. Hadley, um, I love because, especially in the movie, 
Well, I guess in the in the story too, but like you do see the side of like you love Hadley when he beats the fuck out of Boggs. Yeah, yeah. his like, big moment in the novella is is just the rooftop scene, right? Yes, that's his big moment. Yeah, yeah. but I, I kind of love that we. But then in the movie, because the, the guards are depicted just as you know that they're they're bad dudes and they're they're vicious in the movie too. But I love the scene when the guy is like, "I want to set up a trust fund for my kid's college," yeah. and then Andy sets up a desk for him yeah. and like they sit together. And it's like that to me is such a wonderful like humane moment, and it's such a great moment where you just remember, oh yeah, these guys are just guys with jobs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, wait, what, Mac? I was going to bring up another Seinfeld character, but the guard in the movie that congratulates them for getting the books. Oh yeah, is the race is is oh yeah oh, the guy the, who says I'm going to go pinch the, a the loaf. Superman. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, but I. I, I was looking through like fifties dialogue. I was like, thank God that phrase is no longer common parlance. <laughs> but it's like even though even though Hadley is like a total villain, like I'm I was so I'm so happy that like Andy won him over to the point where it was like, hey, don't rape Andy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, and unfortunately, ten years later he blows Tommy away. Yeah, I was going to say, they, they do a good job of showing that, like, yeah, these kids are still skeezy He's just villains. an equal, yeah. he enjoys beating people the only, up. He's yeah, an the equal only, opportunity bully. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. The only reason he beats him up is because he's he could possibly mess up his financial stuff because Andy's doing a lot for him. It's not because of Andy. It's not because he cares about Andy. I know, but it's, I love it, though, because, like, yeah. it's kind of that cool moment when you see him go into Boggs' cell and you're, like, you're, like, on his side. Oh, and no, I, absolutely. I, I, yeah, yeah absolutely. I just love that, like, when a film or a book can, can make you kind of for at least a moment root for one of the villains and especially because the last time we saw that villain he was beating to death a short flabby guy on the ground yeah, yeah, his yeah. first night in prison <laughs> so it's a nice it's a nice turn it's a little 180 I yeah guess and then norton i think gutton uh is so good in so the, good yeah mm-hmm. like he's great in the movie and like because that's such like a skeezy character but he also really nails the piousness of the yes. character like you know mm-hmm. i love that you quoted the bible verse earlier that he has like etched so on his wall because it's, it's like and he also is the kind of guy who when he quotes the bible he does the uh like doeth unto you know yeah. it's like <laughs> well this is something like uh like the lord has your soul but your ass but here your ass is mine mm-hmm. or something like that in the very yeah. beginning just to kind of you know blur the long blur but the your trust in the bit. lord your ass belongs to me your ass belongs to me yeah and it's like <laughs> i love that he and like i think that's what's great about gunton is that he he nails that sort of like the the kind of menacing piousness which you know is really hard to do like he's not the kind of he's like a mike pence like, like yeah, exactly. it's the hiding behind the religion <laughs> he, thing he, he does the first line he tells them is like rule number one no blasphemy I won't have the Lord's name made taken taken made in my prison the rest of the rules you'll figure out as you go along like he doesn't give a shit what else happens he's like my guards will beat the shit out of you but do not say Jesus Christ as they're doing so (laughs) but no uh, any other thoughts on characters uh, here I mean again it's the ensemble in the film I mean they all have their their, their little ticks but if we are going to be talking about characters in both novella and film we got to talk about brooks yes oh yeah good point yeah that was last about on my list um and so much of that has to do with james whitmore's absolutely. performance yeah i was probably. so interested in the book when we got there and how he's really painted as a kind of like a bad dude mm-hmm. uh all the way through and, well, and in the book he's only you're not for a paragraph. As, right and you're so you're not you're not really connected to that character um and so when they explain what happens to him you're kind of like oh well good yeah. <laughs> or not good but you're just you know you're not as invested half as invested no. so like the, the fact that they were able to take a character like that and and flesh it out to the point where i mean i think that was probably one of the most moving parts in, of, i, I of think the in the novella he serves a, he's just a tool to just show how the institution's fucked up mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that they'll right. i think there's a keep, keep talking oh, well I think just the, i think here, just but. the sense that you know you whatever they think about rehabilitation you know 
Just oh. because you're not going to kill somebody doesn't mean that you're going to be able to function in society. Yeah. And I have got yeah. the quote. It's, um, yeah, I guess the stakeouts own back on Brooksy, all right? They trained him to like it inside the shithouse and they threw him out. Yeah. yeah. The whole thing is about, you know, how once you're there, you can't even imagine living outside. Yeah, and they transfer from the book Red's thoughts about being institutionalized. When mm-hmm. he gets out, he's the one saying, like, you know, everything's faster out here. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they gave that to Brooks, and I think that was so right. smart to show you in the middle of the movie. Like, if you do get broken, you can't even make it when you get out. Um, and, and that's, that's a risk that everyone now has to deal with. Yeah. And, and it's just so sad to see him, like, like uh, just even that shot of him, like, trying to cross the street and people oh, honking oh, at oh. him. And he's like, I saw a car once, you know, when yeah. I was a kid, yeah. and then now they're everywhere. Well, even the introduction to him in the library, you just he just seems like you just fall in love with the character immediately. Mm-hmm. And... Well, he's like the first person that's kind to Andy yeah. in the prison. It's like, as well. Oh, I've been down here for forty years. You know, it's just such like a likable, granted, murderer, but a very likable person who's just kind of there with Jake the Bird. And, yeah, and that's also what's so scary when they go in and he's holding the knife to to yeah. Haywood because yeah, you, you're just like, what could have happened that this nice, this little tiny, nice, nice old man is like about to kill him? Mm-hmm. But that it's also, sad. I love that too because it just still shows it's like there's always. You know, he is a killer. Like, these are still criminals. Like, even this kind old man, like, he still has the capacity in him. Yeah. Um, You can see, like, what got him there in the first place. I mean, I I really want to backpedal, and I'm so sorry. We can totally abandon this. But Andy, (laughs) again, going back to Andy really quickly, just the fact that he went with a gun and some booze to possibly confront his wife is, like, so interesting to me. And, like, we sort of don't ever go back to it. In the movie, they add more, and they have him give this whole monologue about how he made love to his wife under that tree, and he loved her so much, and that kind of fleshed him out a little bit more for me. Yeah. But the fact that he was capable of even buying a gun and, like, going to maybe scale, like, we don't even, in the book, it doesn't even get into, like, what he was going to do. He says, in the book, it's, it's, he says that he was going to commit, he was considering suicide. Yeah. Okay. But in the movie, they, they. He's like, I wanted to scare them, maybe. Yeah. Like. It's so interesting. It it just makes you really want to know more about his past and his relationship with his wife, because we get none of that in the prison. Yeah. That's actually a good point. We really don't learn a lot about Andy, like, outside of, like, who he was before the prison. We know he was, like, you know, married, and we know that he was you know a banker but, but i think that keeps him as the tall tale i know and you that's know? what i like that a lot i think yeah. that's a really smart choice but it's also like kind of a bold choice you know yeah. um but in the in the movie he talks about how she he became distant and she didn't like it but even though he was like i really loved her and i guess i just didn't show it enough and as you we've established how cold he is even if it's unintentional you know yeah. well he says he says that he loved her. he didn't he didn't know how to show her right yeah. okay and yeah. which is even more like Indicative of like his character and how just weird he is and socially, you know. Golf pro knew how to show her. And so, I, I, tennis pro, golf pros, you know. I don't hey know. man, they they uh, they're they it's those lithe bodies. Hopefully, they're like oh lacrosse God. pros. Be <laughs> more. <laughs> I also wonder in the film when they are showing those sequences with his wife and, and the golf pro if any of that's actually happening or if that's just in his head. That's mm. a, that's a good thought right there. Yeah, that's like the way it's going down. You know? I think a really good way like, to find this out is if we could get Frank Darabont on the podcast. Uh, oh, would be amazing. Interesting suggestion. I have a. I think we should do this. I mentioned this to Mac. Um, we should do very much like how Andy was writing one letter a week 
to get the library funding. <laughs> I think we should do, we should seriously write a letter a week to Frank Darabont's management or whatever, his agency. That would actually be kind of cute. And then make a big deal about it until he gets back to us. And then maybe once he gets back to us, we'll do two letters a week, much like Andy did. Uh, you know, we could film. do, we could, we could charge our listeners to send letters as well. Yeah, let's, uh, oh, let's like, yeah. bombard. They, bombard he's like, absolutely not going to nailed with a harassment suit. Cool. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. No way. No way. I, uh, we'll, we'll, all right. We'll here's the difference. <laughs> I didn't mean to derail. Here's us. the difference between now and back then, though. They can just put block email. <laughs> oh, no, we'll write proper letters. Proper though. letters. Proper okay. letters. They'll get lost in the mail. We'll write with children's <laughs> handwriting. So, oh, child. And it's, it's just like beautiful font inside. <laughs> Dear Mr. Oh. Darabont. Continue, Mel. Should yeah. we talk about Boggs a little bit? Uh, yeah. Okay. If, oh. I guess if anyone is supposed to be, quote, pure evil. Oh, it's Boggs. He's a bad boy. Oof. He's like, yeah. I could treat you good, Andy. I could treat I, you I could real. be a friend to you. Oh, I could be a friend to you. That's the line I <laughs> love. In the that. book, what's Boggs' fate in the book? Um, he just gets beaten up. Yeah. Um, he just kind of leaves Andy alone. Right? This he is what the movie d- does. He, he it doesn't... heightens every fate of everyone. Like, oh, yeah. Tommy goes off to minimum security. Nope, he dies. Yeah. Like, yeah. Brooks goes off to... Boggs sips the, his meals through a straw for the rest of this his life. This is Darabont's attempt at, like, an R-rated... Um, Frank Capra movie. You know what I mean? Like everything's ah. been heightened in a way. That, that said, the yeah. novella goes into far more detail about prison rape oh, than, yeah. <laughs> than the movie. I wonder if that was a uh, studio compromise. Like, let's have more like Andy triumphant on the rooftop as opposed to being, being sodomized in the, in the well, laundry facilities, you know? I, and I, I actually, that's one of the moments of the movie that I think actually kind of works better. Like, I don't need to know that. Mm-hmm. Just that, that, that slow cutaway where Red's just like, you know, I'd like to say he fought the good fight, but that's just not how it is. And I think letting your imagination do the work is worse. You yeah. Know, like and there are like, enough, ugh, like what could have happened. There's enough know? quick cuts of him, like trying to ward them off. Yeah. He's figured this was constantly happening as read again, our, our narrator right. explains, you know, well, speaking of sodomy, should we, uh, head on down the street speaking to the sodomy. cemetery? Why? Do, what does that have to do with sodomy? Because it's scary. <laughs> Well, not if you like it. <laughs> well, not if you like it, but prison sodomy, you know. Let's go to the cemetery. Non-consensual prison sodomy. <laughs> What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground... Beyond that cemetery, ain't human at all. I think this will be an interesting edition of the cemetery, considering this is not a scary book, um, and it's not intended to be not a scary supernaturally. Book. Scary. Well, not supernaturally yeah. scary because there are definitely, like, obviously, um, I cringe in a little bit whenever uh, we start talking about uh, non-consensual prison rape and things of that, of that. And also just the way that red framed, like Andy putting the money up his butt. And he said something just kind of like, if you get it deep enough in there, <laughs> I'm, way just, up there. I know, I'm just like, I get was like, those guts. Ah. <laughs> I have one passage from the cemetery. I okay. to read if, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, and I think it. we're all going to be in, maybe in the same page here. And this is just about Andy's escape. Yeah. And red says he crawled through foulness that I either can't imagine or don't want to imagine. Maybe the rats scattered in front of him, or maybe they went for him the way such animals sometimes will when they've had a chance to grow bold in the dark. He must have had just enough clearance at the shoulders to keep moving, and he probably had to shove himself through the places where the lengths of pipe were joined. If it had been me, the claustrophobia would have driven me mad a dozen times over, but he did it. 
And this, this, we talked about this a little bit in the Creepshow episode. My yep. fears are claustrophobia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you can also add uh, rat-filled sewers. <laughs> Sewer drains filled well, and the with way shit. He, and the way he talks about the rats attacking you. Ugh. Like, that, it, like while you're, you? yeah, and Ugh. while you're in shit, like, and then, for yeah, but for me, all the claustrophobia would destroy me. Like, the idea, yeah. like, the way he frames, like, the shoulders, like, yeah. touch, you know, like, and then uh, having to shove yourself through, like, where the, the joining parts are. Oh, like, yeah. that to me is, like, so, like, that was the part that got me in, um, the Running Man, like one of the few things I found scary about The Running Man was, yeah, like was when he was going through those pipes. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's you think about, I think, once again, we, we mentioned aliens for the second time on this yeah. podcast, but when Bishop <laughs> has to go through that pipe. Yeah. But I think that's only 100 yards. But in this, it's. He's also. Is it five football fields? It's 500 yards in this, I think it is. Yeah. Five like football fields. Oh, yeah. God. But, you know, also, oh, Bishop's, with the uncertainty. Yeah. Bishop's just a robot, so, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Bishop's fine. <laughs> but yeah, and then, like, when Red says, he's like, oh, he'll hit some, like, heavy mesh, you know, like, won't mm. be able to get through, like, you know, reach the end of the pipe and then it's blocked off. Yeah. And what would you do? So much of it, is, of the scariness, is anticipating doom, right? Like, yeah. I feel like. One of the scariest moments for me in both the book and the movie is when Andy goes to confront the warden about what he's learned about uh, the golf pro, the, the real murderer. Mm-hmm. And the warden just says, hey, you know, that's that's a crazy story. What's or it's so surprising. What surprised me more is that you were taken in by it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, of course and he's not going to be so obtuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that whole exchange. Love and then the hole, the hole is really scary. Solitary confinement. Very, yeah. Very scary. Australia. They don't really get into it as much in the book other than you eat bread and water and there's one light bulb and it's terrible. They talk about people lose their teeth because of the oh, bread and yeah. water diet. No, thank you. Ugh. Yeah, that kills me. But no. just seeing it in the movie is terrifying. I agree. Ugh. Ugh. I, yeah. I have a question. Oh, man. So let's say you got to that pipe and you knew that there was going to be 500 yards and it was going to be shit and rats. Mm-hmm. And you weren't 100%, 100% certain that there would be literal light at the end of the tunnel that you'd be able to get out. Would you take the risk and go in there? Oh, 100%. That doesn't really bother me, crawling through shit. Man, we all shit. <laughs> well, here's the thing. My, my, the claustrophobia <laughs> and being stuck in there is what, is what would be yeah, that's terrifying. I would say, yeah, getting stuck in there or um, getting to a point where um, you don't know if that pipe is going down, up, whatever, wherever, which way. And maybe you, you know, maybe just at one point it just ends and it's just shit and you like, drown you know what i mean like maybe it goes down slightly and then you're just like how much stuff is in there are you is it just a little bit of water all the way through or is it like half full of mm-hmm. water and shit and you're you know what i mean like i don't know if i could do that Ugh, i'm feeling like I nauseous just think just of worse ways to go like i feel like the smell would overwhelm you you'd pass out and then you drown i don't think it's that bad i think drowning i think shit that would be, be the worst <laughs> <laughs> like do you want to drown in the I ocean would've... or do you want to drown in rat feces and human shit <laughs> Shit I would literally rather drown in that pipe than in the ocean because I'm scared of deep water. <laughs> I would rather drown in the ocean. <laughs> Let me go. Right, and then I, the I, sharks I would, can take me after I'm dead. No, I kind of see what Mel's saying. Though. Like, there's something so like horrifying about like the blackness of the deep of the ocean. You know what I mean? But the thing I is, would you, rather you'd be drown dead before in you hit the, the bottom. I, know. I would rather drown more slowly in the shit oh, than Jesus. be eaten by a shark. This is I, like a fear factor challenge <laughs> in 20 years where people are actually going to die one way or the other. Actually, Once you've been in prison, you've given up. Like at that point, it's like, you know, it's yeah. this or nothing. I actually well, dreamt about sharks last night. Oh, that I uh, I was swimming with sharks like the like the Frank Whaley with you know, Kevin, Spacey. Like, hey. Kevin Spacey. Kevin <laughs> Spacey. He's been in the news. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> um, but here's the thing about the, here's the thing about I think why Andy did go through that tunnel is, is something he says in the book when Andy's talking about how there's two sorts of people. And he says, uh, one believes that a hurricane will change course and avoid hitting his expensive home. The other 
knows there's no harm in hoping for the best as long as you're prepared for the worst. Uh-huh. So I think that's why he still went into that tunnel because no matter what, he had he had the hope, but he had at that point resigned himself to it being either now or never. Because yeah. he even says like if he doesn't get out now, there's going to be the new piping, you know, or he's going to die, or he's going to be found out. Like he couldn't he could not keep risking it. That makes me wonder about something in the book where it talks about like oh wouldn't it be crazy and awful if he was paroled and they found the tunnel afterwards? Yeah. Like wouldn't that also be the case if he if the warden did pursue Blatch like and he got out on legitimate reasons like they'd still find that giant gaping yeah. hole. I wonder how that would work. I wonder work. if they would yeah. turn it around on him and then It's like a double jeopardy situation, like a reverse double jeopardy where he would have he would actually oh, lose his parole if you found it after the ruling. You can't fill that back in. What are you yeah. what are you yeah. gonna do? Double Jeopardy starring Bruce Greenwood. Oh that's yeah, right. you're right. That's right. And Ashley Judd. Ashley and Judd? Who? Oh, I'm thinking about high crimes with Ashley Judd and Morgan Freeman. Probably. Oh, Tommy Lee Jones Sam was in. Neil. Double Jeopardy. So I'm sorry, Sam Neill nor Hugh Laurie. Sorry. I'd say... Uh, Why is it Hugh Laurie in Double Jeopardy? Also, because I like him. Because you like him. I like him. him. Another scary thing... to being that film. Another scary thing, I think, is like with the, like the guard changeover. Because if you think about it, you know, you work for, I don't know, eight, 10 years trying to create a relationship with these guards or, or get to a certain point. And then the, as that, that guard changeover, and then all of a sudden he has a roommate again and you go back to square one, you know, you, you, you don't like, you can't really build anything. It's always going to be you reset to zero yeah. in terms of your relationship and your privileges in, in, yeah. in prison, you know, to that extent, especially when the wardens switch over, which I liked in the book, how there's multiple wardens, there's multiple guard changes. I liked how they fleshed them out in the movie, but in the book it's, you feel the time a lot more and it's, it's just horrifying. This idea of life in prison is just, is also along those lines. Scary. There's a lot of anxiety just in, you know, he has everything buried in that one part and he's like nervous about them building a highway there. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like all that stuff could be ruined just by the general progress of society. But yeah. The movie does not touch on that. That's right. All in the book. Right. It's true. Well, uh, Bruxton, Texas seems like a pretty, um, pastoral place in the movie. They're not, they're not building any highways there. Wait, Bruxton, Texas. Buxton. Oh, Buxton. Buxton. Yeah, I'm Bruxton. sorry. Yes, you're right. Bruxton. I love <laughs> t- t- subject, Teddy Bruxton. Bruxton. <laughs> on the subject of names, I was joking with the person I was watching the movie with, like how he's like, "You remember the name of the town, don't you?" Like, what if you did it? What if you were like, "Oh, Cabo." He's like, San- yeah, like- <laughs> he's like San Francisco. Yeah, well, that's another thing too. Is like San Paulo. No, that's Brazil. Fuck. <laughs> That's another thing that strains credulity with me. With this, is just kind of that whole like Andy's whole like process of you know i told you this one thing one time do you remember about all of it and uh and then also this sense of um like what if he gets to that town and then it doesn't work out there and he ends up finding a job in the town next over how does he tell red that i'll tell a brief thing about this there's a there's a plot line in the last man on earth the Uh show yeah where they finally decide to go to San Juanteneo because they love the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> and so they go there and it's just the beach is just flooded with dead bodies. You know? <laughs> oh and then they realize and then they talk and afterwards they go, oh, no, we found out that actually um, they actually shot the film in somewhere in California. And it was not an actual San Juanteneo. <laughs> it's, a funny really funny. it's a funny bit. It's funny bit. Yeah, no, that is good. Okay. Um, other scary parts? Any other oh. scary parts? I mean, when he in the movie when the warden is like. Give him another month to think oh, about it. It's mother. just brutal. That's rough. Just and then also, brutal. we touched on it, but uh, Elwood Blatch, that little moment mm. is super creepy. Just that actor is so creepy. Shout out to how well lit that scene is. You know who the director of photography was for this movie? Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins. Well, that was, yeah, that was... Did uh, not know that. Because 
who was it? Maybe it was Tim. Yeah, Tim Robbins brought him over from Hudsucker Proxy mm. because oh. uh, that was sort of to compensate for the fact that because uh, people did not have like faith in Frank Darabont necessarily. He had done a, he had, a, a yeah, USA movie. He had done a USA Which I movie like, actually. Yeah, and uh, but he so they basically to compensate. That's why Tom Cruise wouldn't do the movie because he only wanted to work with Rob Reiner. Um, he didn't want to work with Frank Darabont because Tom Cruise was blatch. Can we? <laughs> When I was when I saw the movie for the first time, I was young enough that there were two moments where I was totally taken in by uh, a twist. I guess I first of all I didn't know they were going to kill Tommy because um, no, yeah. the warden was so good when he was like, "If I move on this, like, yeah, I gotta yeah, know yeah, you're in a hundred percent." So that part and and the very end, I totally thought when he didn't come out of his cell the next day that he, I, he I had committed agree. suicide. I did not. Have they framed that really well. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. also, even though the movie poster has him with his shirt <laughs> off. <laughs> But again, I just figured that that was a moment in the prison where he just experienced the rain. I didn't think he escaped, you know? They also do a really good job with changing the story that he tells red instead of you know in in the movie he tells him about the you know his plans when he escapes and all that stuff in the library mm-hmm. but the thing about the the something under the oak tree that's that's buried is left very very like 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 what's in there mm-hmm. and it's almost played as if it's something bad or maybe like mysteriously like or like i'm not gonna like, be able to get there like right because yeah, right, i'm gonna yeah. kill myself exactly yeah. so when he leaves red you you you're you're just you're there right with red thinking like maybe he's gonna hurt himself and then and he gets the rope i'm like yeah that's it six he's, foot he's rope. hanging we himself. saw brooks kill himself you that gave way. it to him oh, I to, dummy haywood uh gives him the rope <laughs> <laughs> i gave randy six feet of rope the other day yeah. um I was just thinking, what if like Red? What if Red got to the um, like found the box and everything, like dug it up, opens it, and it was just like it was like a note that just said "gotcha" with like a smiley face, and then it's like beep beep beep. <laughs> it's like a bomb. Gotcha. You like the sirens. No, it's 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 you know all I was thinking was, and you know it's not true. I wish they hadn't shown you this stuff in the movie, but because they could have played it that. Um, Maybe I was thinking maybe it, like if you hadn't seen this already that it was the gun that he actually did kill. Yeah, Jesus, oh, it's so dark. Maybe you can go and and, yeah. and then there's a, there's something underneath the rock, Red. You, <laughs> might, be, you might be interested in looking. Like, for well, it. You, you know, you you you're sitting here thinking this of me, but really, I'm just as bad as any of these people in here, kind of thing. Yeah, that would be yeah. consistent with the rest of the movie. <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, that would be the. I think well, that I'm thinking of the book. You know, it's all through Red's point of view. I think you, that yeah. would take the uh, summer of corruption from the different seasons <laughs> of Hell nice. To better prepare us for Ad yeah. Pupil. Fall from Innocence. Uh, I think this, another scary thing is if we, ha- if we, if this movie is put into our hands. Oh, <laughs> I agree. Clearly, we had some definitely weird ideas if we where were the we age go. that the movie came out, like a 13 year old me is directing this thing? Yes. No, we didn't. Uh, so any other scary parts or shall we move on to some of the more beautiful parts? I hope. We're going to the beautiful parts. A little section we like to call word processor of the gods. And we're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here and you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, what the fuck you hear me doing in here when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. Think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? I didn't have anything for this. <laughs> you th- wait, you didn't think it was? You didn't think the writing was good? No, I love the writing. Um, no, I had I had one section. Um, it was. Uh, well, wait. We get. We're gonna say it. 
Are we still reporting right now? Oh yeah, I could get there. I could I could pull it up. Um, it was just let's I keep mean, all this in there. I, I don't know. Here's a little behind the scenes. I do kind of like I do kind of like opening this section yeah. just with Mac just going. I don't have anything. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the pros. You know, I didn't really. I just had like uh, well, basically, it's it's just the section that um, uh, Mel was already talking about where when he's telling the warden. Uh, about what's happening and then uh, you know they do it so well in the movie too but just um uh just, i don't want to read it it's not it's more i didn't think it was like you know oh it's gonna sound great when i read it out loud sure. it was just the, the the moment in the book where he's yelling it's my life it's my life oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and works good in the movie too and he gets pulled and he's just being pulled away well, and it's so counter to everything that we know about him and it just underscores the stakes right and, because he's so calm and cool mm-hmm. and never has reactions like this and it just it's it, and it's just so done it's just done so well i thought yeah i um I wrote down a section that it's it's kind of was a, some of it was cribbed for uh, Brooks's stuff, but like when Red gets out, and there's some really beautiful writing just about Red trying to adjust to life on the it's outside. From the novella or from the movie, the novella. Yeah, okay, we're doing yeah, yeah, and uh, some good writing. I I, I wrote down this section. Um, my boss didn't like me. He was a young guy, twenty six or seven, and I could see that I sort of disgusted him. The way a cringing, servile old dog that crawls up to you on its belly to be petted will disgust a man. Christ, I disgusted myself, but I couldn't make myself stop. I wanted to tell him, that's what a whole life in prison does for you, young man. It turns everyone in a position of authority into a master, and you into every master's dog. Maybe you know you've become a dog, even in prison, but since everyone else is... Uh, but since everyone else in gray is a dog too, it doesn't seem to matter so much. Outside it does. But I couldn't tell a young guy like him. He would never understand. Neither would my PO, a big bluff ex-Navy man with a huge red beard and a large stock of Polish jokes. He saw me for about five minutes every week. Are you staying out of the bars, Red? He'd ask when he'd run out of Polish jokes. I'd say yeah, and that would be the end of it until next week. Mm. Yeah, just sad. I know it's sad and lovely, and it's like, and it just it does make the ending that much more, you know, beautiful and hopeful when he does seem to find some hope in just going to see Andy, and that's why I kind of like the ambiguity of it because yeah. even if he's not going to be able to find Andy, at least it's kind of like it gives him a purpose of some kind, like to go do something, mm-hmm. which is nice. A change because like his whole life has been scheduled out for him. Mm-hmm. Even yeah, when he gets out, it's the same schedule, and yeah. it's like something spont- spontaneous, mm-hmm. you know. It's so sad how he talks about bathroom breaks, how he, mm-hmm. can't, his, he can't force his body to eliminate because he's so used to doing it on a schedule. Yeah. yeah. I had a couple sections. Yeah. Um, one sentence I really liked is when he refers to um, being institutionalized as the poison piece of institutional life. Um, just that was a nice phrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I liked the part nearer to the beginning when he's talking about the guards and he says, uh, I've seen some screws that I thought were almost saintly, and I think I know why that happens. They're able to see the difference between their own lives, poor and struggling as they might be, and the lives of the men they are paid by the state to watch over. These guards are able to formulate a comparison concerning pain. Others can't or won't. Yeah, so let's like that. And then uh, finally, there's just a bit about Norton that I really like the description of him because he's just like gross. And we don't get that much of him in the novella, but this bit is like very much in in pace with the movie. Um, and it's when he tells him about Tommy's story. Um, when Andy had finished, Norton was completely silent for some time. I can just see him probably tipped back in his office chair under the picture of Governor Reed hanging on the wall, his fingers steepled, his liver lips pursed, his brow wrinkled into ladder rungs halfway to the crown of his head, his 30-year pin, pin gleaming mellowly. 
Oh, Melly. <laughs> Liver lips. Ugh, gross. I feel like it's a phrase he uses a lot. He also uses steepled, steepled fingers yes. a lot, which mm-hmm. I like. Which is like just the, the villain move. You and know? monkey yeah. on a stick, which he uses in this again. He does use a monkey on a stick yeah. again. I oh, wrote it wow. down. I couldn't, I don't remember where, but I was like, knock it off with the monkey on a stick. Buddy. Enough, bingo. We got it. There's uh, some great uh, phrases that don't really belong in Pound Cake that Hadley says that make it to the movie, too. One is like, you don't need to tell me where the bear shit in the buckwheat. Yeah. <laughs> <Just like, laughs> That's a good one. I'll go ahead and say that. And finally, the line that make, also makes it into the movie that I really love that just sounds great when you say it is the colossal prick even managed to sound magnanimous. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like you could tell Morgan Freeman like like relish saying yeah. that. Line. It's like there's a lot of syllables and not a lot of words. Yeah. Give it to me. <laughs> um, I've got a couple here. A lot of these I've actually mentioned earlier, so forgive me if I mention them again, but they're really good. Um, when, when Red's talking about Andy's rock gifts that he receives, yeah. he writes, um, I still got them and I take them down every so often and think about what a man can do if he has time enough and the will to use it a drop at a time. There's just a lot of hopeful entries in this I took from not just from the, the novella, but even just life, <laughs> like life lessons you can take from this, I think. And then, of course, uh, when Andy's, um, this is the second part of Red's story when Andy writes him the letter that he finds and he writes, uh, Remember that hope is a good thing, Red. Maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Love that part. And does everybody? Does anybody else have the very ending of this novella, which is just tremendous, which I love to death? Uh, I, I, yeah. I didn't write it down. I, I wrote it down. If I, I didn't read it, yeah. No, go ahead. All right. It's um. Or you, you got written down. Matt. Go ahead. Yeah. Um. Is um. Uh. Red realizes he's in an insane asylum. Oh. <laughs> 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 he's just babbling. I hope. I hope. I hope. I hope. I hope. No, go Hope ahead. Hope is written on the walls. Yeah, he, like. he, writes, um, he writes, I find I am excited, so excited I can hardly hold the pencil in my trembling hand. I think it's the excitement that only a free man can feel. A free man starting a long journey whose conclusion is, is uncertain. I hope Andy is down there. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. And it's amazing. I mean, Darabont took that verbatim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Straight from the mm-hmm. King writing. It's just, yeah, I love that. There, There's also something, and I don't really know where to bring it up here, but um, the posters, uh, uh, there's a far many more posters. I've got, I've got the list here. Yeah, I've got, I've got it here too. Good. Um, I think it's Marilyn Monroe, mm-hmm. Jane Mansfield, Raquel Welch, I believe, mm-hmm. and then Linda Ronstadt. You're missing a couple. Linda Ronstadt, yeah. You're missing a couple. Okay. You're missing a major one. Well, Rita Hayworth. Yeah. But, oh no, I'm sorry. I had that first. I, I had that first on here, but then I, I obvi- that's obvious. There's but, also a, a but I thought that was interesting that it ends on Linda Ronstadt. Yeah. But also, Red mentions he said when he's talking about the Raquel Welch poster, he says it looked like she was down in Mexico somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was mm. that was a little telling, you know. Also yeah. with the whole there's also he says for five years there was it was a British actress, and he says maybe it was Hazel Court. Oh. In there too. I wonder why they didn't go with Linda. I guess you know what? Because the Raquel Welch poster is so iconic, and I feel like Linda Ronstadt was well. She was still pretty popular. She did the. She had just done the the Aaron Neville song. I don't know much, but I know I love you. A couple of years before Shawshank, so people recognize Linda Ronstadt, yeah. right? Yeah. Maybe they couldn't find that poster. Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe Linda wouldn't wouldn't approve. Maybe so they want to be a no part posters, of this yeah. this fucking Maybe amateur hour project. That that bit in the movie with uh, Rita Hayworth, and then. I think that's that's the only time you see a live woman in either of these things, and you kind of just don't think about it until yeah. it's over. Like there's zero women except for his wife. Right, right. That's right. But um, then you think about the the prison experience as it is, where but we don't even see ugh. any visits. We don't see them talking with anyone. No. 
Well, that's. I wonder how leads. many of these prisoners have just been totally left behind over the years too, where there there are no visitors for these people. Well, this is like yeah, this is a maximum security. Like this is the. I wonder what it was like back then. I don't. Maybe there weren't visitations. No, there were definitely. He talks. Of, he mentions it like they oh, sometimes really? they were talking to people on Sundays, like in the. Because he says even Tommy could whatever. maybe have a conjugal visit. Oh, sure, that's right. Uh, well, that would be a minimum security. Yeah. Yeah, minimum but it security. also just like how di- prison life was like incredibly different in this era oh, yeah. than it is now. Like, I've I've read a ton of Reddit AMAs from like oh, people God. who have been to prison and how now it is just like. It's just gangs in prison. Like you have to find your gang. Mm. You have to be. You have to run with those people, and that's that's where all the danger comes from. Yeah, mm. I'll always remember. Like probably about eight or nine years ago at Christmas, my cousin. I have a cousin who um, is in prison because he's yeah got a little too into heroin. And, just uh, a little. Just a little too much. And uh, I'll always remember on Christmas, my aunt was kind of drunk, and like he got a phone call with, and he was talking to various members of the family from prison and my aunt was really drunk and she goes like it's okay it's okay he's in with the white supremacists like saying he's not getting but it's true i know she's like he's not getting raped because he's in with them it's all down racial lines which you know shawshank does not deal with at all the novella deals with the n-word a little bit and how it says like you know in prison everyone's an n-word spat on and looked down upon but there's just nothing even really dealt with concerning race other Mm. than that um in the movie too it's like no one cares that Morgan Freeman is a black man in this yeah, group. It's just, like, uh, just another black guy. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of uh, the representation of women in this, I think that leads us to our next section, mm. which we call Pound Cake. After all you've been taught, everyone in Bad Mama, everything in the sin. Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mom. You like him. You really like him, Mama. So what do we got for this? I got one section. Do you? Um, yeah, there's not a lot. Yeah, there's not a lot. I mean, it's a classy, it's a classy little there's book. There's a lot yeah. of shit and fart. There's a lot things. of like gross. Yeah, there's, things, there's I guess, but not like a lot of sexual. <laughs> there's some gross duty. Stuff. There's duty. There's some pipe filled duty. Uh, but there was one that just kind of made me chuckle a little. Uh, it's when Red is also is on the outside, and then he's um. It was the toughest adjustment I've ever had to make, and haven't finished making it yet. Not by a long way. Women, for instance, after hardly knowing that there were. Uh, half of the human race for 40 years, I was suddenly working in a store filled with them. Old women, pregnant women wearing T-shirts with arrows pointing downward and a printed motto reading baby here. Skinny women with their nipples poking out their shirts. A woman wearing something like that. When I went uh, when I went in, would have gotten arrested and then had a sanity uh, hearing. Women of every shape and size. I found myself going around with a semi-hard almost all the time and cursing myself for being a dirty old man. Semi-hard I mean, was a Will Ferrell movie, wasn't it? <laughs> It's like like it's not it's not true pound cake because uh, it's actually really sad and it's like that would probably be true yeah, yeah. That, that rings very like sad right yeah. but I don't know just the phrase semi hard made me laugh <laughs> <laughs> I just have one for pound cake and it's Hadley again and Andy's asking him if his wife would ever double cross him and he goes double cross me Hadley asked harshly double cross me Mister Hotshot Banker if she ate her way through a box car of X lax she wouldn't dare fart unless I gave her the nod. <laughs> 
so right there we got like fought. total uh, subjugation of women. We got farting. We got X lax. Love um, X lax. <laughs> love Hadley. <laughs> love to fart. Sm- love to fart. Uh, My wife and I say smooth oh, move, smooth move X lax to each other sometimes. <laughs> I just want to because we both want to salute your shorts. I can't believe we haven't really talked about Clancy Brown. <laughs> we'll find we time. talked about him a lot last. Well, we last can get cast. we can talk about him in the adaptation section, which yeah. will be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise. <laughs> I hope people have been patient with us. We're going to get yeah. to the movie pretty soon. <laughs> uh, anything else for Pound Cake? I, this is, might be the first time I, I have nothing. You have nothing? Cake. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, except for the shit in the sewers. I yeah. Mean, the I mean, it's pipe. just such a simple, it's, it's like, it's, it's an elegant story. You know, there really yeah. isn't a lot of, of King indulging in maybe his baser instincts. Um, so on that note, let's move over to King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. I'm excited about this one because I found one connection that made me laugh so hard, and I assume that you guys got I it. I think too. we might have. I think it's. It. I think we all. Does it deal with a, a certain machine? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I have some do. theories. Does anybody have the passage? I have it. I have it. Yeah. I have it. All right. Um, <laughs> Justin, do you have it? I have it. <laughs> The person he asked was his partner on the laundry steam ironer and folder. The inmates call this device the mangler because <laughs> that's exactly what it will do to you if you aren't paying attention and get your bad self caught in it. Your the bad mangler. self. Get down with your bad self and the mangler. Unbelievable. Is this the second time the mangler has shown up it. in another story? Yes, I think the mangler is mentioned or the Road factory work. is mentioned in real work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, right, the, the right, yeah. Factory. Yeah. That's so funny. So we've got Roadwork, Shawshank, and The Mangler all taking place in the same, same universe. Now, is, it, is this the wait, beam, Blue is, Ribbon is, Laundry? Wait, is this the Path of the Mangler? <laughs> <laughs> path of the Bear, Path of the Turtle, Path of the Mangler. No, the Blue Ribbon Laundry is where Carrie's mother works too, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, what a weird thing to continue to carry over to all these stories. The I, just, I just feel like he thinks it's so cool and he used to work in a laundry and yeah. like he just loves to fit it in there. I know. I have a question. Uh-huh. You know how there are three wardens yeah. in this? Maybe one of the ward- wardens is um, William Bill Gartley, a.k.a. Robert England's character in oh. The Mangler. Maybe he was the second warden. <laughs> wow. Doing his little Stomping dance with around. his glass eye. Hilarious. Um, uh, I have a Room 237 here. Oh, I don't oh, okay. have this. Uh, it's a literal Room 237, and it's from the movie, not the book. Oh. Uh, but red red cell number is 237. Oh, wow. See, I thought red yeah, you were going to say something like that. <laughs> I was constantly looking at people's prison numbers and seeing yeah. if any of them added up to 19, but nothing No, does. Andy's does. Oh. It oh, does. Andy's does add up to 19? Yes, in the novella. Oh, also. Oh, in the novella it does. Yeah, look. Oh, here, in the book, says, in, the, yeah. in the movie, I, I don't think it, it does. It says, uh, Dufresne, prisoner 81433SHNK. 8 wow, plus 1 yeah. plus 4 plus 3 plus That's 3. That's wild. Also, I didn't catch that. In the movie, I don't think it does. I think on, there's six digits in the, yeah. in the movie. On page 81, uh, he says, I got him a new rock hammer. The one I got him 19 years ago had, mm. as I told you, plum worn out. 19 years, Italicized. Yeah, Italicized. <laughs> oh, there's another 19 I mean, it's I got. so thrown out there. It's great. When um, In the novella, when, when uh, Red receives the money from Andy in the yeah. envelope, he says he broke it down to 1950s, yeah. and he explains why he broke that 115 to something else. I thought, all right. Well, maybe and then there. also, I guess, the obvious connection is that it's in Castle Rock. Yeah, yeah. There's there you go. One point where he uses the phrase like "get back on the beam," but it's uh, not a reference to. Yeah, it's a yeah. literal a king beam. <laughs> That's a, a two, three, seven for you. Get yeah. back on the beam of the turtles. Um, any other King's Dominion? 
That's all yeah, I had. That was the one. I, that was all that I had. Oh, we mentioned it's it's again. We we mentioned this about how this is yet another case of a woman having an affair with an athlete. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's now that's under King's Dominion. We should We have to put that under King's Dominion, and also like main characters going back to childhood love interests and sleeping with them, even though the childhood love interest is now married and it's like not a big deal and it's okay <laughs> and it's actually rather charming. That's, <laughs> that's definitely a king. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes, very much so. Well then let's uh, break down our overall thoughts on the book and mm-hmm. then we'll focus exclusively on the movie. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. So I, I'll start. I, I think the book is solid. It's really hard for me to divorce it from the film. Yeah. Uh, because And for me, it feels almost like... Uh, you know, a blueprint for what would eventually become the movie. But I do think that it's such a quick read. It's a really pleasant read. And, um, you know, it's consistently gripping. I read this. I'm a slow, slow reader. And I read this in 90 minutes. Like it's 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 uh, the characters are great. It's really warm. It's really lovely. It does feel a little bit slight ultimately. But I think ultimately I feel that way because I've seen the movie. And so I would give it a three and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses. I also think Andy's kind of precious, and that's where hey. that's where that's where some of those noses went. <laughs> one and a half demerits up up his butt. Yeah, up his butt. One and a half up his butt. Up, up his Randall's butt. butt. So, but it went so far it disappeared inside of him. I, I don't think I have anything to add about the novella. I mean, I liked I liked everything I talked about in in terms of separating it from the movie. The fact that it focuses more on the generalities of 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 prison life and how this legendary figure disrupted them. I, again, just kind of am in awe of how Stephen King can be so simultaneously unfocused when addressing a subject and cover such a long time frame and then zoom in and be focused on these very interesting snippets of story. Um, I think I would also give it 3.5, and I think it's so hard for me to separate it from the movie that I almost don't trust any of our ratings because <laughs> I wish we could have read it first. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I'll add another untrustworthy rating rating here. Um, when I give it this score, I want to be clear. This is not in comparison to something like The Dead Zone or The Stand. This right. is based on the novella. I mean, is, that, is this the first novella of his we've read? Right? Um. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, because I guess Rage... That's, that's a novel. Yeah, I guess it is that's a, a novel. novel, yeah. Okay, so in terms of the novella scale... I'm actually going to give it a four out of five, mm-hmm. especially when I, again, ha- not just have four this, out of five. What? Uh, oh, bright red Pennywise. <laughs> especially when comparing it to, and again, I have, the, I have the unfair advantage of having read many of his other novellas that were to come. And so even on that scale, I, I still think it's a very good tight. It's an easy read, but it's not simplistic. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a big difference there. Yeah. You know? I think it's, it's still, there's a lot of depth there. There's a lot I, of depth. And yeah. so, yeah, a lot I'm, I'm going to go with four. And, um, there's even better stories to come in different seasons. I'll say that much. <laughs> Mac, it's a good season. <laughs> uh, I was like tearing up at the end of this, yeah. and, a little and maybe, baby. and maybe, <laughs> maybe it's because I'm a little baby. <laughs> no, but but I think it. I you know again, I, I had a hard time you know disconnecting from the film, Could but be because you're a little a literal infant. But, <laughs> but, but Mac is um, one and a half years old. I just once had a weed, so uh, it's all very new to me. No. Um, <laughs> I give it so personally. Uh, I really, I really loved it, and I liked all the changes from from the movie. Actually, it was just, it was, it made it more. Well, not changes read. from the movie. Well, I mean, you know, we keep talking 
yeah. Yeah. like the movie. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to give it four uh, dull blue nickel stupid mime toes. Oh, <laughs> that <laughs> is. Nickel stupid. We hope that you've been listening to our podcasts. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm giving it four uh, bright red Pennywise clown noses. Um <laughs> Uh, in terms of like, yeah, like you just said, uh, on the novella scale, on the novella scale, I, I, I really, I really, really love that. Fair, it. yeah, Fair. very good. Um, I have one minor pound cake that I forgot to share, and it just, it just because it made me laugh when I was reading it last night was that Red had to smuggle his writing about it out of the oh, prison yeah. in his ass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like that just made me laugh. Like the shit covered pages. <laughs> like, oh God. <laughs> God. But it was the way you phrased it. Then I remembered how Andy had brought in his $500 back in 1948, and I took out my story of him the same way. Like, just saying the story of him, like, up my ass. And like think it, about I mean, this is 90 pages or so. This is, like, 100 yeah, pages. Yeah, that's not $500. That's small <laughs> font, by the way. Yeah. And so imagine if just single pages and larger font. That's a lot of manuscript to get yeah. up there. Well, um, not going to – I was going to make some awful joke, and I'm going to keep moving. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the film. Don't worry, Mom. I know all about cannibalism. I saw it on TV. See? It's okay. You saw it on the television. I don't think that's too much to ask. I don't think you ought to be doing this to yourself, Andy. This is just shitty pipe dreams. I mean, Mexico is way to hell down there, and you're in here, and that's the way it is. Yeah, right. That's the way it is. It's down there and I'm in here. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living. Or get busy dying. So uh, there's actually, uh, because this movie's so popular and it has such a following, there's uh, tons of information out there about it. So I was really kind of... No, no, it was no. nominated yeah. for nine Academy Awards, but it won zero. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really did invigorate sort because it totally bombed when it opened. Yeah. It made like in modern dollars. I can't remember the figure that it made when it opened, but I remember that when it was compared to modern, it was twenty five million. Uh, but mm-hmm. which is funny because that's still more than Dark Tower. Made. Oh god. <laughs> Dark Tower would be like 0.5 million in 1994. <laughs> so it's like, uh, but. I was like, it's kind of funny, like uh, uh, Darabont and apparently their big opening night screening, like nobody came and they had to like badger some people outside. And if they said if they didn't like it, then they would they could call Castle Rock and they would give them their money back. I'm so, telling you the marketing awful, the title awful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, like uh, Tim Robbins and Tim Robbins was a name, but he wasn't really selling tickets, you know, no. and Morgan Freeman, same. Morgan you know. Freeman was in Robert. Was Prince it of reviewed Thieves. favorably? It was reviewed favorably. Yeah. yeah. Some people one, I think L.A. Times gave it a bad review, which I think hurt their opening like it called it like a bunch of co- like a, a big like splotch of cotton candy or something well disney had their revenge years later <laughs> hey um topical humor uh again this goes back to what mel was saying about how as a teenager especially you were just trying to get somebody else to watch it with you and that happened, it was a year before i accepted my friends loved it and just swore by it and i recall these same friends loving like jack the bear jack the bear which was was all right you know uh, miko hughes from pet cemetery and julie louis dreyfus and gary sinise oh i didn't know they were um very dark movie but (laughs) it's it's good but you know i so anyway so i remember sitting down for shawshank and thinking this is all right and then that thomas newman score keeps creeping its way into the movie which is just phenomenal and then by the time the whole brooks uh letter happens randall i apologize weeping 
Openly weeping. weeping. Weeping like somebody who just saw the Rogue One trailer for the first time. <laughs> um, just, uh, just getting emotional throughout and then once that ending happens it's one of those things where I like I have like my kind of my arm over my head so nobody's seeing like the tears streaming down my face of just loving the hell out of this movie blown away by it 23 years ago and I'll say like there have been movies I've seen a year ago that I've definitely changed my opinion on not extremely necessarily but the hyperboles died down yeah I'm not getting to my stars till later on, but I still feel the same way about this movie now as I did 22 years ago. And it ago. never feels long. It's two it, hours and 22 minutes is, long. It's, it's crazy. It doesn't it feel just, that long at all. Oh, no. And it, by the time Tommy comes, which is late in the movie, yeah. you're just excited to see more. You're like, oh, I forgot about this whole yeah. thing with oh. Tommy. Great. Okay, oh, let's keep it going. Oh, so Andy's out. Okay, that's the end yeah. of the movie. Oh, it's not the end of the movie? Let's go with Morgan Freeman for another 30 minutes. I don't care. I can sit here forever with these people. So, yeah, some other fun bits. Um, Brad Pitt was initially cast. Like, he was cast to play Tommy. Um, but then he, Tommy. yeah, but too and, big by that point. Well, that was the thing was he wasn't big when he got cast and then Thelma and Louise came out and that's when he blew up. So Thelma and Louise was when he became like the really hot commodity and he dropped out. Was somebody else attached to this or was Darabont trying to do this for a few years? Uh, he, I mean, I think probably the process of it wow. took a few years, but he was initially cast and, um, but yeah, they, this, and like the thing is like, so here's kind of the story was, uh, Darabont he actually began thinking about working on this like years before it actually got made. It was like he, cause his first big gig was writing dream warriors, mm-hmm. uh, nightmare on Elm street three. And that was when he initially got the rights from Stephen King. But even Stephen King didn't think it would make a good movie. Cause he's like, it's not, you know, how did he describe it? I wrote down a quote. He was like, like Stephen King said, I thought, oh, oh man, no chance they're going to make a movie out of this puppy. It's too talky. It's great, but it's too much talking. And that's what that's what he said about Darabont's script. Yeah. And then, uh, but he also just said he didn't think it would make a dynamic movie at all. But he's like, hey, you want it? You got it, yeah. you know, because it's it was his dollar babies. And uh, but he but he did it for Darabont specifically because he loved his uh, the woman in the room. Yeah. Uh, uh, dollar baby so so there was that. But he also but then Darabont like wrote the script um, and everybody really loved the script and you know a lot of people were saying it was like the best script they ever read and so castle rock entertainment you know rob reiner's company really wanted it but rob reiner was like demanding that he direct it like not being a dick about it but he directed stand by me and misery at that point yeah and misery so he really wanted to do it and he basically offered uh darabon who was like not super rich at the time like three million to uh let him direct it and they said that they would give allow him to direct like anything he wanted out of their current slate of projects Jeez. like at castle rock wow. and darabont like said that it really tortured him because that was so much money so hard to turn down but he really wanted to direct it and that was the thing was nobody really believed him and he still said he wanted to do it uh but like tom cruise wouldn't work on it because he didn't trust darabont and um and like that he was in he only wanted to do it if rob reiner was doing it and, uh, like, and then, yeah, they got, you know, Deacons was kind of brought in to class up the project a little bit and they went through a million actors. Like Tim Robbins was like 13th on their list, you know, cause they were talking about, well, Tom Cruise obviously. And then they were talking about Johnny Depp and Nicholas oh, Cage, like, oh, man. and then they wanted Harrison Ford you know at what, first though, to play Red. Yeah. It's hard to think about now, but I do think a 1994 Nicholas Cage could have done it. Yeah. Could have done Andy. Yeah, that could have been good. Because this was around the time of, this is like before leaving Las Vegas, around that time, and he was still doing some pretty respectable oh, stuff. Oh, Charlie Sheen was also considered. No. I know. Like, Do we know what now. Stephen King thought? Like, what has he said about the movie? Uh, oh, he's looking back. He, he loves yeah, it. He yeah. says that and, and Stand By Me are his two okay. favorites. Yeah. Which, you know, it's funny because they're both from the same book. Yeah. But, uh, 
Yeah, let me see. There's some other fun stuff like, um, yeah, oh, James Gandolfini was going to play Boggs. He turned it down to be in True Romance, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, well. Better for it, him, but I could see him playing Boggs. In an article, it was funny. Uh, somebody said he turned down Shawshank uh, to punch Patricia Arquette in the stomach in oh, True God. Romance. Like, they framed it like it was a horrible choice. <laughs> I, could, I could be really good for you, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, but then, yeah, like they had a $25 million budget and then, um, so in, yeah, like filming was kind of rough. Like it says like filming regularly required up to 18 hour work days, six days a week. Uh, Freeman described the filming as tense saying most of the time the tension was between the cast and director. I remember having a bad moment with the director, had a few of those. And then he talks, you're right. He just never says Frank. I know he doesn't say writer. (laughs) So it made me feel like that there was maybe, yeah, that because the scene, the first scene with Andy getting the rock hammer and everything of meeting with red took nine hours to film. And if you watch that, like red's throwing throwing a baseball the entire time. Like how like annoying must that have been? Where was it filmed? Is that an actual prison? Uh, was i don't think i wrote it down let me see so shawshank penitentiary (laughs) (laughs) no it was uh it let me see i don't think i have it but um it was it was filmed at like an actual prison because some of the people that were there uh like they talked to people who were actually inmates there Mm -hmm. at some Mm -hmm. point and like that the prison where they filmed uh, was actually like not like a really horrible prison. Like oh, people man. were really like hurt and tortured there. It's kind of like session nine, how they record, you know, they actually filmed at the hospital where they did a lot of lobotomies and stuff. Mm. And it was like a really horrible like place. Well, that first um, overhead when they, when they show you the yeah. whole place at the beginning, is, it looks like the architecture is actually really nice. Yeah. The outside. It's funny that you bring that up because that was another point of contention was Darabont and Deacon's butted heads a lot too, because Deacon Darabont wanted all these sweeping shots, like these, that showed the whole prison and showed the outside and everything. And uh, Deacons didn't want that because he's like, we should foster a sense of claustrophobia within the prison. We shouldn't be showing the outside. So they were like really butting heads about that. And I've heard that, you know, I've heard that Darabont's not the easiest guy to work with. I mean, the whole Walking Dead scenario kind of. <laughs> but the same token, though, I he can't be that bad because he, he he has his own little ensemble of people that keep working for yeah, him. Yeah, people and women, do want to so, keep working with him. You know, I think he's probably really good. Well, I was going to say he's good with actors, but he said that there was tension. But I think, you know, maybe just certain people click with him and certain people don't. I agree. Maybe he's like a Lars von Trier type. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> From a there's, recent news, I hope not. There's a fun story about um, to get the rights to this. Like, uh, uh, I think Stephen King, there's two conflicting accounts. One says $1,000 and one says $5,000. But basically, like, uh, that was what King and Darabont worked out. And the whole story is that King never cashed the check and that... Uh, mm. Um, because he, I guess he just did, he thought that this guy was like, you know, like kind of down on his luck, you know, and didn't want to do it. You know, I think that he just didn't really think very highly of Frank Darabont. So he never cashed the check. But then when the movie blew up, King actually sent him, he framed the unsigned or the uncashed check and said, if you ever need bail money and sent that to him. So he's like really happy with it. Yeah. But one, one account says 1000, one account says 5000. So do you guys ever hear the story that I don't know is, if it's substantiated at all. And I don't know if the source is actually Stephen King originally, where he, he talks about a woman coming up to him at a bookstore where he's doing a signing or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she's like, Oh, are you like an author or what are you, what are you doing here? And he's like, yeah, I'm Stephen King. And she goes, Oh, I don't like your stuff. It's too scary. It's too gory or whatever. <laughs> I don't, I don't like it. I am more into like, you know, like Shawshank Redemption yeah. or like stand by me. I've heard that. 
And he's like, yeah, I did those too. And she doesn't believe him. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's real, but it's true. Even in the mid nineties, like I think that's another reason why his name was taken off it because people, they didn't want to mismarket it as a horror film. Yeah. They said, uh, uh, I was just reading that like it was decided to mostly omit Stephen King's name from any advertising as the studio wanted to attract a quote unquote, more prestigious audience. Do you guys think that worked or like, well, no, because nobody saw it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, it probably would have done a little bit better. And then the ending. Uh, how do you guys feel about the ending? Do you like uh, uh, I, Red and, and Andy meeting on the beach? I'm of two minds. I love the way the novella ends with this ambiguity. Yeah. So I usually do like prefer ambiguity. But I felt the ending of this movie was earned yeah. a couple ways. Just through all the literal shit that Andy has to go through and that everybody has to go through over the years. I felt the ending was deserved. And another thing, just about being an, a cinematic adaptation... Everything gets heightened yeah. throughout the whole film from book to movie. So I was not surprised at all to see that ending on the beach. And again, you could also, if you really want to look at it a different way, you could also look at the last true moment being the, the bus driving down the road. And when he keeps talking about how I hope I see the Pacific, that's when you see the Pacific. I hope I see my friend again. And that's when it gets to the point where you see him on this boat. So you could also take that as maybe this is yeah. just a part of the hope because it's an actual, actual narration. I do think they actually did meet at the end, though. Yeah. I do think they did. <laughs> But well, I still think Darabont didn't like that ending. He, I, yeah, he wanted the ambiguity. It. He called it schmaltzy and oh golly gee uh, was how he described it. But the I think it works though. Yeah, the studio executives basically demanded that it be there, and they they were very much like um, it's earned, it's good. And I, I think so. I, yeah. Again, if it wasn't there, it wouldn't have affected my way, my view of the movie either way. But I still love that ending. And again, just in terms of the structure of it, and then you get that, and then that score comes in again at the end. I mean, I'm all I'm I'm all on board. Yeah, I, I'm a big baby, so I, I, I <laughs> again loved, we've established. Uh, I, I loved eyes. it. I mean, honestly, that's I mean, and that's why we chose uh, that scene of all the scenes to uh, recreate. Uh, so Mac and I deliberately uh, went the, down to Fort Lauderdale <laughs> just so we could shoot that sequence on the beach. Um, which, yeah, which you uh, probably seen. have seen already uh, if you. Um, do you like good cinema? Uh, <laughs> so I finished the movie at like I finished the movie at like three o'clock in the morning last night, and I was a little bit loopy as I was watching it because I read the book and um, watched the movie, and so it was a long night. Jesus, and uh, I know, and um, so, but I was laughing a little bit at the end, just like I'm like, man, Andy doesn't look like he's doing too great. <laughs> He's on. He's got some trash boat. Well, he's like, got like the hotel the, up the up the road. I feel. I didn't know. see it in the movie. I, I think, think he's like on the shore. He's just, <laughs> some, he's just some poor bastard cleaning if, some dirty he, like crashed boat. boat. He just crashed there after like months on the sea. <laughs> yes. That's a whole other thing. Like, That's what it Andy looks told like. me about his months at sea. There's literally just this boat just laying on the sand that literally looks like it's like it's sunk. Like you know, it looks so dirty and gross. And he's like scrubbing it. He's building it up. It just made me laugh. Building up a new life. I was like, man, he's not doing great and then i also like was kind of loopy uh and when red goes and he like looks in a store window and there's guns but then right next to it is like a the compass yeah, you know yeah. and i just laughed and i said out loud to my empty apartment i go ah they put compasses next to the guns <laughs> like which it was like well c and then g is simpler time <laughs> sure. know, it just made me like i was like feeling so goofy and i started kind of making fun of the movie a little bit but i do love it yeah um it ultimately. is schmaltzy as it you, is. i think you used that word earlier. oh yeah yeah there are I parts think- now where i'm like Okay, <laughs> but I feel well, like he about- embr- in a way that a lot of other movies. I, I think about something like like Pay It Forward, for instance. That is Pay ex- It Forward. Pay It Forward. Pay It Forward. Pay it F O R D. 
Pay, pay for, it forward. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. That it's movie the, sucks. Uh, That's schmaltzy, but it's worth. Like I feel like there's a. Ten, I don't mind romanticism in these movies at all, especially if it's a big cinematic movie. This is designed, especially you said Darabont fought with Deacons about this to make this kind of sweeping drama. Yeah. And I think he hits all the beat. He nails all the beats. Absolutely, I think he does. and yeah. I didn't mind that. Like Andy, like looks like he, you know, he was shipwrecked or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, be seriously though, because like if you think about it, if you look at, at the, the too, if you look at them in the prison, like everyone's always clean shaven in the prison, and you know they would let themselves go to that extent, you know. So I didn't, <laughs> Andy looked I pretty didn't. buff. He had like the cut he looked off. breezy just because his yeah. shirt's untucked doesn't mean hey you he's guys, living that, he's you living you that Captain Ron wearing... life. <laughs> Hey, Where's the patch? You guys tried spending some time in Mexico in that heat, and you, you, you you'll get some cutoff. Uh, sure. <laughs> That's true. Okay. That's true. Matt but I mean, as, did the as same thing. you were saying, I just feel like the adaptation is wonderful. Like he made yeah. all the right choices yes. of what to keep and what to expand. And um, one part that in the book that really frustrated me was after Andy escapes, he kind of like spends too much time going into the detail of how he thinks he did it. And I'm just like, at this point, this is boring to me. Like he's out. Yeah. Like I don't care. Plus I've seen the movie and this is just like, <laughs> the, I think movie. the the idea to, to do the fake out in the movie was such a good one mm. with his potential suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's great. Yeah. Should we uh, go around and give it some noses? Let's do it. Uh, Justin, why don't you kick us off? Uh, again, I can't say I really can't say enough about this movie. I could pop it on anytime. You don't feel the length, and usually I'm so against these old, these long fucking indie movies these days. Are so yeah. long and unnecessary. I don't feel the the length of the two hours and twenty minutes at all. Um, and you cry, and it it still like gets me going there. Yeah, not in that, not in that way getting me going. But it, it's really, uh, <laughs> gets do you, your, do you watch I, I, it? I it gets your bars. tear ducts and gore. <laughs> do you watch it with a semi hard? I do a semi hard. <laughs> Again, oh, my favorite Will Ferrell movie. So noise, um, noise. I, I give it five right red panels. It's one of my. It's arguably my favorite Stephen King movie, and it's one of my favorite f- films. Definitely, films. hell of all time. Wow, love it. That's an endorsement. Yeah, yeah. It's the I, rare. Sorry, Mac, it's the rare case of like the populist argument. Yeah. I actually agree with like the IMDb ranking stuff like that. I'm like, oh, no, I, I agree. That. Like, I agree. Sure. I yeah. just hate the whole IMDb thing when like, it's like it's like when my dad like goes, oh, I was going to watch it on Netflix, but it had like two oh. stars, and I'm like, you know, it's like just idiots and mouth breathers yeah. that rate stuff on Netflix. Netflix. Like, like the Matrix is the seventh greatest movie of all time. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, fans. Well, even, they changed the Netflix rating. That was a thumbs up. You know, like it's yeah. this you know, thumbs ridiculous. up. Ridiculous. Uh, no, I, I, I just, I watched this again with Justin and it's, it's always been one of my favorites. So I'm gonna, I, I gotta give it a five, 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 noses five bright red Pennywise clown noses. Um, but what's the alternate ranking of that? It's, it? Oh, uh, if it's not that it's uh five dull blue nickel, stupid mime toes. <laughs> <laughs> um, that will never not be funny to me. So, so I guess I gave it zero of those because yeah. I gave it five, uh, you know, bright, bright red, red yeah. Pennywise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh no it's a beautiful movie it still moves me to this day I and maybe it's because this is right around the time where I was really starting to to become a bit of a cinephile and watch watch just trying to get every single you know all the great movies I was trying to like you know watch and this one hit me really hard and I just thought oh this is this is one of those movies that I put up there and was like okay good luck beating that you know and yeah. um yeah, it still is is great, and I still totally recommend it to anyone and everyone I talk to. Um, I give this four and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses. Love the movie. Is this uh, your highest uh, movie ranking so far? Probably. Maybe? Yeah. I mean, no, he gave nineteen twenty two. Oh yeah, nineteen twenty two five. It's a five noser. That's right. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, so yeah, good call um, back, Mel. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you never know, never let him forget that. <laughs> no, no. 
even though it's been a race you know, it's actually good. <laughs> no i love i know that's yeah. so funny as like we, out to be i think we, we didn't expect 1922 to be that good so uh that is it's a funny bit but yeah so oh here's a funny story i met a guy recently who whenever we discuss 1408 we need to have him on the podcast because mm. he says 14 i'm not making this up 1408 is his favorite horror movie of all time he said is the best he With says john cusack like aggre- Samuel? Yeah. he oh. is aggressive in his belief that it is the best horror movie of all time and i'm like we're gonna get you on and talk about we're this. gonna give this person who is this person uh, his name's josh he's a he's he's and the thing is he's very funny he's a good writer uh and maybe he, he was making jokes no he was he was being real i was on his podcast uh, well, we out def crossover episodes. I think. Yeah, yeah you're right. Definitely. Yeah. Well, he's he plays a character named Chad the Burden. Um, he's a local uh, oh, in Chicago. Yeah. yeah, and he does a lot of stuff with Paper Machete, and he's also a very very good writer. And he's got a Chad the Bird podcast. And I was on it talking about horror movies recently. Plugged our pod, obviously. And um, yeah, but uh, he was he was very emphatic about 1408, and I'm like, I really. And he started telling me about it. I'm like, save it for the pod, buddy. Oh yeah. So, anyways, I love Shawshank Redemption. It's a wonderful movie. It's it's um, one of the very few movies that i would want to rewatch and enjoy rewatching. Mm. um it makes me feel it makes a man feel good as they say so uh much Mel. like gillette's the best a man that can get shawshank <laughs> makes a man feel good <laughs> i would and say from the woman perspective <laughs> man i mean it makes me feel good maybe at the end but oof, it's a it's a watch though you know it's the bog impressive. scenes fill me with warm fuzzies oh sure god. gets me going <laughs> God, semi hard, baby. No, uh, hashtag. Oh, I did want to mention that I, I two of those stars are simply because of um, uh, Clancy Brown, and two of the two of the other stars are because of the score. So it really um, only gets one star. And then one star. <laughs> on, one star. Its own, on its own, All Clancy Brown films just get, get an automatic two. I don't care if it's Highlander to you Pet know, Cemetery two. Yeah. Pet Cemetery. I told I told them. Justin and Mac that I like to think that Carnival is a direct continuation from <laughs> from Josh. I think that the warden had these time uh, or the, the, yeah, the guard <laughs> you know it. served his time and then became a preacher. Um, that makes sense for that character. Actually, I feel like maybe the timelines too. don't match up. I don't remember when Carnival <laughs> takes place. Oh, Carnival but, takes place during uh, the Great Depression. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so strange little, prequel. Yeah, a little earlier. Um, I'm going to give it 4.5. I will never not tell someone who hasn't seen this movie yeah. that they need to see it immediately and with me. Um, it's just so fun to watch people watch it, as I said. And it's just one where you're like, you need this experience in your life. I want to see you get goosebumps when he's standing out there in the rain. Do you feel it's also one of those movies now where it probably has been spoiled for you? Like, for, you know, like it's one of those know. endings that I don't like, know. like are there people out there that don't know the ending? I, I guarantee every, it. Everyone oh, that yeah. I've ever watched it with just like, doesn't even know anything about it, which is oh, really that's weird. Good. That's the thing, um, man. We, we live in such, I was talking to, to Jen about this. It's like, we live in such a bubble of like, like we had some people over to watch a movie um, that, you know, they're not like cinephiles. But and so I was I mentioned Paul Thomas Anderson, like just offhand. And they're like, who's that? And I'm just like, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I had a moment with Jen where I'm just kind of like, I live in the kind of world where it's insane to me that people wouldn't know who Paul Thomas Anderson yeah, is, true. which is like that's so obviously, of course, like millions of people have no freaking clue it is because they don't build their whole entire lives on pop culture. So it's like just kind of funny that like like we're like, how could somebody not know about Shawshank? Like, the like the twist in Shawshank Redemption, but uh, well, this is this is why I like being on the podcast. I feel like I have a foot in and a foot out of that world. Yeah. <laughs> like I Mel do, just asked us, "Who's Paul 
Thomas Anderson. Yeah, no. I know who Paul Thomas Anderson is. Jesus Christ. Um, but, you know, I'm not, I don't contribute to the magazine. I work at an animal hospital, but I really, really like Stephen King and I try to consume media that I enjoy. Not to the degree that you guys do. Sure. Which is always really fun to like hear you argue about <laughs> sequels. And sh- I'm like, who the fuck cares about Friday oh, yeah. the 13th no. part four? We've got a lot of thoughts uh, on Mel, that. I've got you down we to do. review Children of the Corn 2, 3, 4, yes, 5, thank 6, you. 7, um, I will be doing that. That's your assignment for the <laughs> next two weeks. I'll be doing that with no grudge held against Justin whatsoever. Uh, something I did want to GRE write-ups. Something I did want to read before before we head out was the description uh, on the different seasons. Book. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> oh, so man. it just says. Um, so okay. So from I have to set it up. From one of the greatest short story writers of all time comes a spellbinding collection of four novellas bound together by the changing of seasons, each taking on the theme of a of a journey with strikingly different tones and characters, including Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. An unjustly imprisoned convict seeks a strange and startling revenge. What? Yep, what? that's it. And then it says it's the basis for the modern classic film, The Shawshank Redemption. But what? I guess he kind of... A strange and startling revenge. I mean... To get out the of war- prison. And, and to, like, get said- revenge on the warden? Like, like that was his whole plan from the beginning, was to get re- revenge on the warden three people away from him? Yeah, That's clearly someone who has not read the book yeah. and probably yeah. saw the movie while high. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no joke. Or just hasn't seen anything related yes, to it at all. exactly. Like, um, hey, give me the, give me the cliff notes. Yeah. <laughs> to, to complete my ranking, though, I think the point, the point five off that Justin and Mac... Uh, did not take off is probably just due to the schmaltiness that we talked yeah, about. Yeah, a little bit of schmaltiness. That's, it. That's yeah. it. That's honestly it. I That's love it. Enough. It's a great movie. It's fair enough. It's a great movie. Uh, yeah, it's a great movie. And this has been a great podcast. <laughs> it really has Wait, been. Wait, what are, what are our titles? What would you call Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, we oh, got to give it titles. Um, um, I'll call it uh, Little Andy and His Rock Hammer. <laughs> rock of Ages. I love Ages. <laughs> I call it a uh, curious red and the uh, man with the yellow hat. <laughs> Glad to hear you took my assignment seriously, everybody. Uh, <laughs> coming out clean. The coming other out end. clean. What's yours, Mel? Um, I don't know. Mine is like uh, pressure plus time equal. It's like, equals, a, it's like a yeah. chalkboard. Pressure, <laughs> pressure plus time equals semi-hard. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. Uh, river of shit. River of shit. Okay, how about like the even more precious titles? It was my, my, my would be like Brooks was here, so was Red. That would be my more like precious, ob, 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 obscure title. You, could you, know, you know, Brooks you know, was here has become a meme. Which I, I do it all the yeah, time. I know. Yeah, like, I, I, I post well, it all the time and people get really precious on Facebook. Or yeah. something. I, that's like my offering of, here, you make the first sacrifice. You, you please in your life. I honestly think that... Just Shawshank would be a much better title. Yes, yeah. I and, and I was joking around. I was going with the like a children's story because I'm a baby. But uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think if even if it was yeah, if it was just Shawshank or you know like or Dufresne, like Rita Hayworth like, with a question mark, <laughs> pronouncing yeah. it with the, the pronunciation, slammer, like, the hard U, or something like the mispronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Andy and the slammer, man. Andy and the oh. Slammer is my new favorite. That is, from henceforth, we will only refer to <laughs> Shawshank as Slam- Andy and the Hope Slammer. Hope Springs Eternal, Andy and the Slammer. <laughs> a great band name. Andy and the Slammer is a great band name. That is a great, it's a great name for a novella as well. And that's, uh, uh, so I that's think we our, did it. I think that's a better title. Yeah. yeah. So 
Um, that was our episode on Andy in the Slammer. <laughs> this has been the Losers Club podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. We we need them, baby. We need those reviews uh, for our sanity and for our standing in the iTunes community. Um, they're a hard bunch to break, baby, and we're trying. Well, it's like that wall that Andy has to get through for yeah, 27 exactly. years. Uh, and, uh, and also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, share us all your good stuff. We appreciate it. I was responding to some, one of the listeners last night at like two in the morning because <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> sleeping. And, uh, so that's, that's the kind of messages and the kind of care you'll get from the losers club. That's right. Um, so thanks so much for listening guys. And in the meantime, uh, long days and, and, and uh, pleasant, pleasant nights. nights, Andy and the slammer. <laughs> Clink. I got some hot friends. Consequence Podcast Network. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.